October might be the greatest gambling month we have. We have NBA futures, we have NFL, we have college football, we have the baseball playoffs. We even have two boxing events this weekend. We're covering it all on the Ringer Gambling Show. We're going almost every day. You can even get Thursday night football picks and Sunday night picks as well. People like Raheem Palmer, John Jastrzemski, Joe House, Austin Gale, Kevin Clark's going to be on there this week. Check it out, the Ringer Gambling Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you've side hustled your way to playoff tickets, auctioned off those vintage jerseys, or started a sports podcast of your own, hey, you're like me, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I popped on two of our pods this week. Death Taxes and Bananas, that's the Johnny Bananas podcast. We have a new challenge season that launched this week. It is called Ride or Die. Of course, I came up with this idea. This is the third challenge season that I've come up with. They give me no credit. I get no perks. It's probably one of the worst relationships I have. But it's a good idea for a season. And Bananas and I talked about why he came back for this year, uh, his history with the challenge and Nani and a whole bunch more. So if you like the challenge, go check that out. I also went on our Boston sports podcast, Off the Pike, Brian Barrett brought me on. We talked about the possibly resurgent Patriots, the excellent Boston Celtics, and the pathetic Boston Red Sox. Went like 70 minutes on that. That was really fun. I was glad we did that. If you missed our three-part over-under NBA podcast on Tuesday, me, Rosillo, House, we went for like almost five hours. We did it in person. There's some videos we're putting up on the YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash Bill Simmons you want to see us in action. Uh, we don't have video of when we thought we were going to dinner with Rosillo after the taping. And he just said, oh, I forgot. We I, I can't. And that was it. So I don't know. There's dissension in the ranks. Rosillo blew off house for a meal, which is the worst thing you can do to house. You can punch him. You can insult him. You can do whatever you want to him, but don't at the last minute back out of a dinner with house. So we'll see how those two guys resolve it. I'm fine. I'm agnostic. I'm an only child. I'm used to doing whatever. But I think House was really hurt. We'll see if those guys can heal. You can hear all four hours of that podcast uh, there on my feed, right where you're listening to this one. House is going to be on this, this podcast much later. We taped it a little bit earlier this week, but it's going to be the last segment on this podcast. The Redeemed Teen documentary that's on Netflix. We had a lot of thoughts. Some good, some bad, but we wanted to uh, give our review and break it down and talk about what that team meant in the context of basketball in the 21st century. That's coming at the tail end of this pod. 
First up, Benjamin Solak. Second, Peter Schrager. We are mixing it up this week. I'm like David Tepper. Uh, I couldn't fire Matt Rule. I couldn't fire myself, but I could change the order of what we were doing. And I could bring back Schrager for the actual million dollar picks. I tried to get fancy this year, have the two guests, have them leave. I take a little extra time. Then I do a solo where I do all the picks with them as my conciliators. That's out. I fired myself after five weeks. We were going back to uh, me and Schrager and then me doing the million dollar picks after we've already talked about all the games and then us running the video where he's basically nodding euphorically and saying, let's go a couple of times. We're back. It's the, it's the only formula that's worked. It's going to happen. Solak next, Schrager, then House. First, Pearl Jam. All right, the Ringers, Benjamin Solak is here. He wrote about the Packers this week and why some of their stuff might not be fixed. But I thought we'd start there because I was feeling like reading your piece that you felt it would be hard for Rodgers to turn this around in a real way, like for him to be an elite quarterback at the way we're used to with the people he has, with the offense he has, stuff like that. And I was thinking big picture, is this feeling like the little bit of the end of an era? And I don't even know what era it is, but we have the end of Brady. We have the end of Rodgers. Matt Ryan's a freaking zombie at this point. Right. Uh, Matt Stafford might be headed that way. And then Wilson, everybody is just uh, buried alive. I, I don't even know what yeah. happened to him. And then Roethlisberger. I mailed you the passing leaders from 2016. And it was basically all those guys with Roethlisberger and Breeze. And now we have this new generation. But I never really thought of like the whole oh, this actually 2022 might be the end of something. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that you have two separate things going on, right? Uh, the change of like the aging cliff in old quarterbacks has been really interesting, right? Uh, the uh, Brian Burke for ESPN wrote a piece that apparently has lost the time. I couldn't find it, like the URL's dead and whatever, about how uh, when quarterbacks age, they get a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse, and it's generally fine. And then one year, they're terrible. Right. It is important to understand aging and quarterbacks as a cliff. We don't really see gradual declines. And that explains what you've seen from guys like Brady and Rogers over the last five, six years. Right. There was that time where we were like, yeah, Rogers is done. Like it's clearly finished. Like he's not the guy he was. And then all of a sudden he went back to back MVPs. Brady's final season in New England. It was he's he's off. He's fallen off the cliff. It's done. He can't do what he did. And then he goes and he wins the Super Bowl with Tampa. Right. Like there you you have these downturns, but generally it's it's more noise, it's variance until all of a sudden there's one year where everything collapses. Typically that aging cliff we've seen be in the mid to late thirties. That's not the rules anymore, right? We quarterbacks are able to play for longer. Certainly Brady's pushing that horizon, but also a guy like Rogers looks like he might. Ryan is trying to at 38, but Ryan's falling off. They're trying to get into their late 30s and even into their 40s. So number one, you're seeing the aging cliff for quarterbacks, I think, start to move a little bit further down the line to get into later seasons. Some of that's being smart about taking hits, advancements in sports science, whatever. The other thing that ushers in a change of the guard of the quarterback position is when the young guys are really good. That's just by default, right? <laughs> the, the alternatives are better. Number one, we're a lot better at getting young quarterbacks good. The whole, you know, advancements in quarterback development have changed drastically to the point where you don't need to sit a guy for three Aaron Rodgers years to make sure he feels good. You can get him out there and you can 
start to produce. We have these offenses, right? Eagles with Jalen Hurts, Niners and Rams with, with Goff and Garoppolo, just kind of point and shoot a guy. You know what I'm saying? We can, we can work around them. But then also, we hit on a few classes. And in the 2010s, we weren't hitting. We were not getting consistent, good quarterbacks out of the draft year over year. We'd have one guy here and one guy there and Russell Wilson in the third round. We kind of, you know, 2013 class was weird, but we didn't have years like we had with 2017, 2018, 2019, where Mahomes, Watson, certainly for his rookie contract, we haven't seen him yet kind of post his suspension and post his injury and, and his holdout. But Mahomes, Watson, 2018, Lamar Allen, and then 2019, uh, Burrow and Herbert, right? We didn't get that run of dudes. And once you get that run of guys, they start pushing the old dudes out just by virtue of how they play. The, the ceiling of quarterback play raises and the mid-tier veterans feel like they're falling off. And we lost Andrew Luck. Yes. Who should be like either in his prime or at his absolute peak or close to he his peak He should be the bridge. Now. He should be yeah. the connection between the, the over 35s and the under 26s. He'd be the guy in the middle. And we kind of lost Wilson, which is weird because I would have thought Wilson would have aged really well, but I don't, That's I don't know. Why? Why do you think so? Because he was so, so, to me, it was like a Breeze thing, right? Breeze was smaller, but he was so accurate and he could move around a little bit. But as he got older, the accuracy stayed. And I just assumed it would be something like that, where it'd be like a short, you know, short yardage passing offense. And just, he would just be able to 70% a year. Right. Veteran savvy. And that didn't happen. It's such an important comparison for Russ specifically, because Breeze is what he's trying to be now. Breeze is what he wants to be, right? Uh, uh, Steven Ruiz at The Ringer and I have the joke about uh, Russ's performative checkdowns, where he's constantly like dumping the ball off to Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon and the running backs and the tight ends. And you watch the film and downfield, KJ Hamler's like one-on-one with a step. And old Russ was throwing that ball. And for some reason, it's just underneath, underneath, underneath. And it's because I think he knows that physically, he can't be the scrambler he was. Physically, he's not the tackle breaker he was. You look at Russ's scramble numbers in terms of how many yards he picks up, how often he gets a first down, and also his sack avoidance numbers. The, the percentage of pressures that Russ takes that turn into a sack have s- catapulted it, skyrocketed over yeah. the last two or three seasons. So as the athleticism goes down, he knows that if he's going to have a late career renaissance, if he's going to be good in his 30s, it will be in the Breeze model. Yes, I'm short, but I'm accurate. The ball's out quick and I'm distributing. He just has never, ever been that quarterback previously. Previously, he was run around, scramble, hold the ball for five seconds, deep moonshot. And, and, and he doesn't physically feel like he can do that anymore. So we're, we're watching a quarterback try to change his play style, which is literally a tiger changing his stripes. It doesn't happen. And that's what Russ is trying to do, square pegging a round hole in Denver. And that's why you're experiencing such discontent, such toughness in this offense right now. Russ is trying to play a brand of football he's never played before. It's funny that Brady belongs to basically two different generations, right? Because he's definitely in this Rodgers, Wilson, Ryan, that whole generation, which was the 2010s class, basically. But he was also in that previous generation with Peyton Manning and Rivers and all those guys, too. And so I guess Rodgers would have a chance to bridge the generations. But back to your piece, um, Mm -hmm. If they don't have the receivers the same way they did and then have the coaching on either side of the ball, I thought you did a good job of laying out that, how, first of all, how loaded the Packers defense is just from assets that they've spent to have yes. seven first rounders you've drafted and Since free agents that you've spent. The oldest one is Kenny Clark. These are young, talented dudes and the defense is horrible. It's unacceptable. Yeah, because I felt like the Pats left a win on the table and I don't think they fully trusted Zappy in that game. Mm-hmm. But the plays were there. They were moving the ball and they just became too predictable because it became clear they didn't want Zappi to win or lose the game for them. 
the Giants thing was amazing to watch them move the ball on the Packers without receivers. Like Dayball just worked them like a speed bag. But with the Rodgers thing, like there was a report today, who knows if it's true, but somebody was like, I'm hearing Aaron Rodgers might retire after the year with some radio guy. Um, I do, I do wonder, he is the type of guy who I could, I could see if he felt like, eh, probably can't win here anymore. Like the Adams thing was a bigger death blow than I realized. I don't really want to just check down and throw screen passes and hand off to Dylan and Jones. This right. kind of sucks. Maybe I'm ready to do something else in my life. It wouldn't like shock me, but the reason I bring this up is they have, they're only seven point favorites at home at Lambeau Field this week against Zach Wilson and this kind of frisky Jets team. Yes. But if you had, if we had said before the year, what's the line on this Jets Packers game? We would have said 10 and a half. Yeah. yeah. I could see it getting the 13. And Lambeau, 12. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And instead, we're looking at the Jets as like, could this be an underdog parlay play? Could they go into Lambeau and win? Could the Packers lose two weeks in a row to the New York teams? All of this seemed inconceivable. So wait, what is the roadmap to them actually turning this around for you? Yeah, so the the Rodgers retirement and kind of the psychoanalysis there is an important point because for the offense to get better quickly, right, like this week and the next week, uh, stuff has to come off of Rodgers' plate. They have to become a little more point and shoot run the old Shanahan stuff, right? When LaFleur came to Green Bay, he and Rodgers did a great job of being like, hey, we're going to run this this Rams offense that I've run previously, but we're going to make it a lot more pre-snap dependent on the quarterback because you're smart and Jared Goff wasn't, so I can do that here, right? And so it put a lot on Rodgers' plate in terms of letting him add color to the offense, letting him be in control, quarterback on the field, coach on the field, whatever. That's not going to work as well. It clearly hasn't worked as well. They're throwing behind the line of scrimmage more than any team in the league. They don't have good yak threats. If they want to make this work quickly, they have to start doing the over the middle of the field, 10 yards between the numbers stuff. And that's the whole like Shanahan McVay bread and butter. That requires taking some of the decisions off Rodgers' plate. He has to become an under center quarterback, turn your back to the defense, point and shoot, one route. And that's just not very mentally engaging. And that's what makes me curious about Rodgers hanging around in Green Bay if this has to be the model like is he going to want to play this way when he's the back-to-back MVP having played a different way like that's not a fun experience nor does it feel necessary for a 38 year old back-to-back MVP to have less control over the offense so that's the short-term change and we'll see if Rodgers gets on board with that or not long term they need Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson to get good and I think Dubs will having watched almost all the snaps of that offense feels like he gets open Dubs is, yeah, Dubs, Dubs is going to uh, get over the hump, in my opinion, with Rodgers, with the communication, the chemistry, and, and, and knowing the whole route tree and kind of the whole Rodgers rookie receiver narrative. I think Dubs will get there. Watson, we'll see. Uh, banged up in camp and not really getting a lot of snaps. I don't, I don't know about that one. He's a more of a gadget play guy now. But if they get Dubs better, if they move Elton Jenkins from right tackle back inside the guard where he's better, play Yash uh, Nyman at right, at right tackle, the, by the end of the season, we could be like, oh yeah, Packers, Packers offense is good. Defensively, they need to time machine back to 2020 and hire somebody else. Somebody who hadn't previously been the defensive coordinator of two NFL teams and had below average defenses both times. Maybe maybe somebody who doesn't run the same stuff Mike Penn runs, only a little bit worse. Joe Barry coming into the building. Uh, uh, a Packers uh, guy told me yesterday, uh, Packers fans blame Joe Barry for walking into the building when the Packers hired Joe Barry. What was Joe Barry supposed to do but walk in the building? Right. I got hired for the job. He's He's not capable of doing what they need him to do with the resources they've given him. So unless he makes drastic changes to how they play ball, which it would be surprising, this defense is always going to underwhelm. And it's going to be, as it has been, Rodgers trying to lug them through the playoffs the last couple of years. I liked what you said about Watson. You called him a speed gadget guy. It's yep. funny when you draft these high receivers, 
there's like basically four paths that it could go, right? The guy could be awesome, like Justin Jefferson. It could be one of those, I can catch passes in traffic guys, and I'm a good blocker. Mm-hmm. Kind of what the Pats were hoping to kill Harry could be, and yep. it couldn't even be that. Um, you could have the speed gadget guy mm-hmm. is your best case outcome. Or it's like the like the the dubs guy, the the oh, he's a little smaller, but he's he's frisky and he yep. can do do he can be a slot guy, he can play on the outside. Um, the speed gadget guy is always fun because it's the team basically not wanting to admit defeat that maybe they missed that this guy's not a number one. So they're yeah. just over and over again trying to work him in all these different ways. I haven't seen enough of Watson to know one way or the other, but it does seem like he's the speed gadget guy for them now. Yeah, and and the Packers have a little bit of an issue in terms of how they get their personnel into the building. And this goes back to kind of Rogers' complaints with, with the early drafting. The Packers are very, very stringent on height, weight, speed. You go hmm. back and look at Packers' draft history, any position since Guttenkunst was there, since Elliot Wolf was there, everybody. Uh, they do not draft smalls. They do not draft slows. Unacceptable which narrows your field for who you're going to pick, right? You're going to miss out some talented players. So for a guy like Watson, Watson very clearly is their MVS replacement. Let's get a very tall, very long guy who can also open the tank, you know, run a 4-4, and he'll stretch the field for us. That was a great idea until you turned on his North Dakota State film and realized the only time this guy was comfortable catching the football was when it was a jet pass two yards behind line of scrimmage, right? It's one, North Dakota State couldn't use him like this. They didn't really have a quarterback to use him like this. Uh, and he didn't, he doesn't, he's not a successful catcher, doesn't have good technique downfield. And so... Rodgers figured that out pretty quick, uh, you know, even with with Watson being hurt in camp. And then all of a sudden, Romeo Dobbs, who played in an air raid system, right? Vertical stuff, Nevada. They're going down the field all the time. Not as tall, not as fast. But guess what? He catches a football. He's where I expect him to be. And that's how a, a Dubs leaps over a Watson like that. You drafted a ball of clay in round two. The round four guy knows what he's doing. And Rodgers wants a guy who knows what he's doing. So he wants to throw him the ball right now. The reason I don't want to give up on the Packers is I just think the NFC is so weak and so weird. I can't. I basically can't give up on anybody, right? You could argue yeah. Philly and Dallas are the safest bets right now. Philly, because the overall and the schedule, we'll get to them in a second. Dallas, the defense, I think they've kind of almost a little bit like a better version of what has happened with the Patriots. They kind of know who they are now. It's like, let's not go crazy on offense. Let's control the clock. Our defense is really, really good and potentially great. And this is kind of who we are. So I yeah. just identity teams, I would have those two and and the Niners, except the Niners are already having the injury luck stuff again. The Niners where, it's killing me. I was so ready to just hammer the Niners every single uh, week. And then yeah, we already get the injuries. Could watch Falcon, it during that Carolina game. Like during the game, they're losing real guys. Yeah. And you could just so now I don't know about them. But other than that, is there anybody else you would even like I'm not ready with Tampa? Their offensive line and just the offense in general has looked so disjointed. I, I was telling yep. myself, don't judge them until like mid-November. Don't judge them. But now I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't know if they get it together in time. And I'm not sure Brady is that guy anymore. That could just yeah. be the galvanizing. I got this guy. I'll pull everything. Just come my way. I'll pull everything and I'll figure this out. I don't know if at age 45 he can do that. Yeah. The Packers and the Rams are in a race to figure out their schematic issues and how to account for the players that they lost this offseason. Well, wait a second. The, it's not happening with the Rams. I'm they're across off. I don't, think, I, I don't to me. think it is either. I don't, I think, don't think they either. have enough talent. I, yeah. I think they're gonna they, keep roping people into, oh, this will be the week, and it's gonna be week twelve, and we're just gonna look at each other and go, Oh, the Rams are five and seven. This isn't happening. I very much agree. I wrote about the Rams last week and I was like, yeah. hey, we can talk offensive line injuries all we want. They ain't got talent. <laughs> players yeah. in the building are bad. And that's what happens when you trade all your picks and you spend a lot of money and everything. Eventually, 
time to pay the piper. You've been robbing Peter to pay Paul for a long time, and that that check comes due, and you got Ben Skoranek on the field for 80% of the snaps. It was never in the plan to have Notre Dame grad transfer from Northwestern undrafted free agent Ben Skoranek on the field for 80% of the snaps playing fullback. This guy's a wide receiver. Like, they are at the bottom of the barrel. And so I think the Rams and the Packers are in like a race to figure out their stuff. And I think the Packers are ahead and going to stay ahead. But they both have to beat the Bucks getting healthy for kind of this, this power struggle in the NFC, right? I think you kind of those three teams that people expected to be Titans all coming in under expectation. I think the Bucks have the easiest path to getting right if they're able to get healthy, if the young guys on the line improve. That kind of is like a more understandable path. For the Packers, it's going to require coaching adjustments, scheme adjustments, you know, humility, check in on the bye. That's tough. We don't see that all the time. And there's no big red Devontae Adams button to push, which is the scariest part of this all, is that even if you get everything right, you become run heavy, Aaron Jones, 20 carries a game, start finding ways to get Robert Tunyon down the field, Dubs gets better. You still eventually find yourself in a third and eight. And there's, you just, there's just, they have nobody on a third and eight right now. They have no one-to-one man winner. They have no Rodgers trusts this guy in the back shoulder. That forces this team to be really methodical, really ahead of the script, which is tough to do. So I'm on the Jets this week, and I'm on the Panthers this week. Because to me, Rams are bad, the Packers are bad. And uh, I'll get burned by one of those at some point. But fading the Rams and fading the Packers down the last couple weeks would have been profitable for you. I was there on both last week. I'm there on both again. And if that means I have to root for P.J. Walker... I'm rooting for P.J. Walker, baby. Well, he's not going to be worse than Baker. Baker's the worst quarterback in yes. the league this season. I was you know, just having this debate with somebody where they were like, well, P.J. is a downgrade from Baker. I was like, I'm not sure he is. Now, watch a Panthers game. Um, we mentioned all those NFC teams and the Vikings were like, guys, yeah. we're four and one. Guys, yeah. anyone? Any takers? It's like, cool. Yeah. that's We're, we're all good with your four and one record. Right, yeah. exactly. They got blown up by the Eagles. Real NFC team. They were down 10 in the third to the Lions. Had to come back. Uh, the London game against the Saints, they won on the double doink on the Will Lutz field goal. Tried to give it away for yeah. two hours. And then gave away an 18-point lead to the Chicago Bears. Fell behind, and the Bears yeah. had the ball and were driving late, and they forced a fumble in their own territory. Forgive me for not taking the Vikings seriously until I see them beat a real team. It's so bad that the, I have Giants fans in my life who, they'll, they'll put some caveats in. Giants fans, you're listening to this yeah. and you're nodding. They're like, I know we don't have receivers. I know it wasn't supposed to be this year, and I know Daniel Jones is my quarterback, but I think we could go 11 and six. And they're serious, and they're probably not wrong because the Giants have been probably the most well-coached team yes. for, from an overachieving standpoint that we've had in either conference. They know what they are. You know what kind of game you're going to get when you're with them. It's going to be super ugly. They're going to try to have the ball a lot. They're going to try to avoid third downs. Warren Sharp was talking about that on the Wednesday pod. And I got to be honest, like now that Thibodeau's back, like they're going to have a pass rush and they're going to be able to at least disrupt you a little bit. They're going to have great home crowds. The home team, home crowd loves this team. I think that might be a playoff team. We'll find out yep. this week. This will be a nice test for them this week against Baltimore. Home dogs. Yeah. It has all Six. the recipe toward, oh my God, it's yeah. like, Oh, this is all lined up for, if you believe in the Giants, this is the all-time perfect spot. Lamar on the road, crowd Short going week. nuts. Yeah, no running game, fall behind, couple dumb throws. But mm -hmm. I'm not sure I believe in the Giants yet, do you? No, I, I the Giants are the model for what like a lot of the, the nerds recommend and what a lot of like football writers recommend for when you are a bad team, what should you do? What you should do is chaos, right? Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator. Chaos defensive coordinator. They had their fourth and sixth string corners in, I want to say, by the end of the game against the Packers, and they're blitzing like crazy and playing man zero. 
That's not allowed. Yeah. Nobody in the world's doing this. We're a chaos team. We send heat. We send pressure. We confuse you. We try to get a negative play. Here we go. Offensively, no wide receivers. Daniel Jones not long-term quarterback. Wildcat, single wing, quarterback run game. Like, we, we, don't, we, are, we don't care if our quarterback gets destroyed exactly, every game. Yeah, he's going to take some hits, but that's, that's, that's the nature of the game. We're going to be a chaos team. We're going to throw stuff at you that you don't see in other weeks that you have to prepare for on a fast turnaround. And if you bust and you get something wrong, Saquon Barkley, 40-yard catch and run. We're in scoring range, right? And so invite chaos. Invite, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of coin flips, a lot of variance. And sometimes that's a win over the Packers in London. Now, tough team to bet on, tough team to believe on, because week to week, it's going to be high peaks and low valleys. But that sort of an approach is dangerous. You have to take the Giants seriously when you prep for them, because they do a lot of stuff that nobody else does. All right, we'll take a break. We'll talk a little more NFC. Download FanDuel America's number one sports book. If you join today, you can get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's free bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just sign up with promo code BS. You can jump on one of the NFL bets we're about to cover, a million-dollar picks with Solak and Schrager. They are also boosting at least two of the uh, NBA over-under stuff that we did with Rosillo and House. I think the first one's going to be Milwaukee 50-plus wins, Denver 50-plus wins, and Sacramento 35-plus wins. And that is like right around 3-1 to one on FanDuel. I think they're boosting that over plus 350. So go check out the site this weekend to see how that played out. FanDuel is all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props, live betting, safe app, secure, super easy to use. And again, you shouldn't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets Win or lose with promo code BS. You can bet on that future I just mentioned with the uh, NBA. Make every moment matter more this year with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Okay, coming back to put a bow on the quarterback conversation. You talked about how there was a little bit of a drought, right? Mm-hmm. You go back to 06, where it was the fr- just first rounders, Vince Young, Liner, Cutler. And that was supposed to be, you were only two years old that year. Um, <laughs> that was supposed to be an awesome QB draft. Yes. We were like, wow, three stars coming in. Well, this we was went- when everybody was West Coast offense pilled, right? We all watched Manning and Brady and Breeze and Rivers, and we said, this is what offense is going to be forever. Five in the concept, short passing game. Let's all just get a tall white who looks nice in the pocket and is smart on the chalkboard. And it turns out there's like one of those every three years, and you can't build the house around that. And so that's where you see all these, these first-round picks busted out. Cutler kind of made it. I mean, he did get traded for two first-round picks at some point. He had a decent career. He wasn't a bust. The other mm-hmm. two were busts. The next year, 07, Jamarcus Russell, Brady Quinn. The next year, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, which counts as like an absolute boon compared to some of these other names. 09, Stafford, Sanchez, Josh Freeman, all in the top 17. 2010, Sam Bradford, Tebow, crossed that year off. 2011, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, all in the top 12. Mm -hmm. So Cam makes it. We go one for four. In 12, this is another QB year. Luck, Griffin, Tannehill, Whedon. Yeah, and so that's, go, the, that's the Foles Russ year, if memory serves, as well. So that was the year where like the third round right. just randomly hit. Right. But even that after 2012, it was like, Luck and Griffin, this is great. Mm-hmm. These guys are really good. And Griffin's out of the league pretty the shortly after. The only one after. still starting is Tannehill. Yeah. Out of that whole round one. 
the wide receiver from Texas A&M. Incredible. 2013 ZJ Manuel. 14 is Bortles, Manziel, and Bridgewater. 2013 and also it, has Geno. Don't you forget. Round two stud, Geno Smith. Yeah, I'm just giving you the round ones. Oh, yeah, 15 was Winston and, and uh, Mariota. And then 16 was Goff, Wentz, and Lynch. So when you talk about like a drought, it's actually kind of impossible that we had 11 years there in a row with how mm -hmm. few franchise guys we got out of that. And then probably the best guy I listed out of all those dudes was Andrew Luck, who retires when he's, what, 27, 28. So yeah. then this happens in the NBA sometimes where the NBA kind of ebbs and flows depending on, you know, drafts. And we've, we're in this draft boom right now where year after year, we've just had these awesome drafts from like 2017 on. And now the league, you can really feel it. There's all these all-stars and franchise guys but then there was other stretches where we didn't have it. And I think with the NFL, it does feel like this is a new quarterback era, starting with that 17 draft, where we're just going to be like, wow, look at all those dudes we got. This is amazing. We got like 10 guys who can run a team versus that before. So anyway, I think that's, that's why it feels like an end of a generation, but there's no next generation that I guess Luck and Wilson would have been leading and yeah. didn't happen. No. Um, and the, the final important note on that 2017 turn is that uh, you saw a lot of the players that get selected from 2017 on get selected to AFC teams. And the reason we saw that was because they knew the Brady dusk was coming. They knew that Brady was either going to retire or just leave New England in some way, right? The rumors were yep. starting. He was reaching that age. And so there became, like, you know, you go back and you look at who was making the AFC championship games, right, over like tw 2004, 2017. Brady, 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 Roethlisberger, Brady, Manning, Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Manning. There was just this this top cap on the AFC where nobody could get past this unit of quarterbacks. And Roethlisberger's fallen off, Manning's out of the league, and we see the Brady fall off coming. And all of a sudden, Miami's on Tua, the Chargers are on Herbert, Cincinnati's on Burrow, the Ravens are on Lamar, the uh, Bills are on on uh, on Allen, and then that's just the good ones. Like the Browns went for Baker, the Jets went for Sam. Right? Everybody is going for a young quarterback, ready to develop that guy. Ready to they they put new resources in. They have new knowledge of how do we get a young quarterback to be better because everybody wants to be positioned for the moment the Brady hammer drops. We have our young guy. We're on a rookie contract. Let's go. And so that a, a big part of the drought ending was half of the league, the AFC, deciding okay, we are going to figure out how to develop a rookie quarterback, how to get him on the field and win with him because if we can get a rookie contract quarterback ready and we have the advantage of the extra money and he's 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 contending, he's successful. The moment Brady leaves, we can finally shoot. We can finally go and, and actually push here in the AFC and get back on top when this guy's just been sitting there for so long. One other thing that I don't know if this is a trend because this may have been happening. I'm just noticing it more where you have a team that already has their quarterback that then drafts another one. And you mm -hmm. saw this with the Eagles with Hertz, right? Where you would have thought they were probably good at quarterback between Wentz and Foles and the whole thing. But they're like, fuck it. Let's take him. Let's take Hertz anyway. The Pats did this with Zappy. They just drafted Mac Jones 15th and he was the QB of the future and he had a good rookie season. And then a year later, they take Zappy. Um, it's funny that team, and we'll see with, if Pittsburgh does this this year, right? Because they'll, they'll end up having a top six or seven pick. Mm -hmm. Will they go QB back to back for two years in a row? You actually should. Because, like, why not? I don't yep. know if they hit or not with Pickett, but if they feel like there's another awesome QB and this is a loaded draft, there's supposedly five QBs in the top 12 or 15, whatever it is. Why not? It's better to have two than one. I think the Pats, if Zappy plays well this week against Cleveland, 
they have two assets, a quarterback. Like they can spin one of them if they want. Maybe they could even think about trading Mac. I don't know. But mm-hmm. to have two of the most coveted position, I think that's how I would think about it if I was running a team. Wouldn't you or am I am I wrong? No, this is a very big thing from the nerds, which I know you're pretty anti nerd right yeah. now. Just I'm not anti nerd. We can okay. we can talk this yeah, let's talk about that next. I got you. Uh but this this was the number one thing when the Eagles selected Jalen Hurts, which was it is and, and Howie Roseman himself said this in, in the press conference, we are going to care at about and invest in the backup quarterback position, right? Our backup quarterback, Nick Foles, just won a playoff for us, a playoff game for us, a Super Bowl for us. We are going to care about and invest in this position. And the reason is because we never, ever, ever want to be caught unprepared at quarterback, unready mm. at quarterback, nowhere. I'm like, oh, snap, we have some great free agents and like our fourth round wide receiver turns out he's a star and we're ready, let's go. And we just didn't invest in quarterback. We just weren't prepared for the most important, the central piece of building out a contending team. So we're going to invest in quarterback. And because good quarterback play is a highly questionable proposition because it's a very hard thing to identify and get into the building. Like we went through some of those first overall picks in recent years and the fact that they decisively did not hit because it's hard to get it right. A second crack at the plate, a second swing just is going to increase your probability that you have at least one good quarterback in the building. And sure, if you end up with two quarterbacks in the building, you have a little bit of a hot potato problem, right? You have some, you have to manage a locker room and you have to figure out how to get one guy up. And you know, that requires deafness, but it's a better problem than zero. Right. And so we're going to take two swings here for a team like the Steelers. This is a very important conversation because Pittsburgh saw you could see Ben coming down the mountain like Ben was getting <laughs> yeah, for so three much years, worse year yeah. after year. And the Rooney family was leaving him there year after year. And they took Mason Rudolph in the third round. And then they got an opportunity to see him start. This wasn't even like Rogers behind Favre. We don't know what he looks like. They got a chance to see him. And he wasn't good enough to beat out Duck Hodges in that 20. I want to say 19 season when Ben was hurt. Right. And they just sat there with Mason as the backup and just waited for Ben to retire. And then they got their one swing at the plate. Kenny Pickett with the 20th overall pick. Oh, QB1. Yeah, but it's 20th overall. Good quarterbacks don't make it to 20. And he's uh, the first game of Pickett was not good. And I don't think Pickett's going to be a, a, an impact starter in the league. And now you're caught with zero quarterbacks. And that's that's going to piss off George Pickens. And it's going to piss off Chase Claypool. And it's going to make it hard for the rest of the offense. You're not going to be able to evaluate your line and so on and so forth. Myriad of problems. So... If you have one, great. Go get a second one. Invest in QB2. We did this when when we hired you and Steven Ruiz. Some oh, yeah? people were like, just get one of them. I'm like, no. We double it up. If we hit Two on both of these guys, this would be great. Um, the uh, So the analytics thing that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I've been really upset about the coaches. So he, here's where I land. Because I think okay. I'm... I think I'm about as pro analytics as any like mainstream sports media person has been in the last 20 mm-hmm. years. Where, where I start to break away is this new era of aggressive analytics, I guess we would call it, where yep. these coaches, there's no fault anymore. If you're, you're the coach, you're on the sidelines, you're watching the game, you're watching every play, you have a feel for where things are going. And you can just default to, well, fourth and one. Numbers said there's no difference. So trying to be aggressive, trying to set the tone. Like what Brandon Staley did last week was reckless. What mm-hmm. the Raiders going for two with four and a half minutes left in that Chiefs game was just reckless. I didn't get yeah. it. I don't understand the concept of it. And Stefanski, same thing, going for it on his own 25. Like there's a difference between aggressive and stupid. When there's, first of all, the downside of the decision is so much worse from a momentum standpoint 
than the upside of just like, cool, we got a first down. Now we're on our 28. Like, who cares? I just mm-hmm. feel like there's no, they can always hide behind the whole, well, the number said it's an even decision. So, you know, like, I don't think there are even decisions. And I think your job as a coach is to manage what you think is happening in the game. The, the Hackett on Thursday night was the ultimate example. Whereas like, there's yeah. no chance the Colts are going 80 yards. Matt Ryan's broken. He's been hit a hundred times. They have six points total. Just take the field goal. You're going to mm-hmm. win the game. And no. Oh, and, and then on top of it is the play you run in these situations. Yeah, that's the big thing. Is the me. other piece of it that the analytics doesn't go. It's like, well, it was 81 or 78%. It's like, yeah, but what was the play of Russell Wilson on a timing cross that's completely covered? What are the right. analytics say And the say timing then? of it's bad because Russ can't see it because Russ is like right. 5'11". And Russ is yeah. 5'10". So anyway, I... So it's this era of aggressive mm-hmm. analytics and that's my little speech, but that's what I'm against, that there's no repercussions yeah. for dumb decisions. Yeah, so the, the the word aggressive is the really, really important word because I think, like if you listen to Josh McDaniels talk about the two-point conversion attempt, it's not, like he never mentions analytics. He's never like, yeah, I, like odds-wise, we wanted to go for win percentage-wise. He was like, I wanted to put pressure on the Chiefs, which firstly is dumb. Why? Like, do, you want, do you want Mahomes down with four and a half minutes left and three timeouts or up? I'd much rather have him up because I know what Andy Reid's going to do, and I also don't want Mahomes trying to beat me. I want Mahomes trying to outlast me. That scares me less. Right. So he talked about it as a gut thing. He talked about it as, as an aggressiveness thing. And to me, this is part of like the uh, social aspect of coaching, the comparative aspect of the NFL. Everybody in this big family, you have just some smart coaches, Doug Peterson, you know, put Staley in there if you want to, who start going for it more on fourth down because Harbaugh is a good example, because they've invested time and energy not just into analytics departments, but also into their short yardage game, right? Like Harbaugh and 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 uh, Peterson when he's with the Eagles and now with the Jags where he's been great on fourth down, regularly, historically, have the right call in short yardage situations. They're not above running a QB sneak to just go get a bucket, right? They said, okay, we're going to decide to be this way and we're going to invest in all aspects of it, not just in good modeling and good data and, uh, and adjusting our models on the day in case Brent, Matt Ryan's on the other sideline and he's broken, but also in the designs. So that starts to happen and there becomes this movement to more aggressive coaching decisions because it's it's supported by data. And guys like Is it aggressive Nate, or reckless though? So, so he, right, he, that's the thing. Is guys like Nate Hackett and and uh and uh, uh Josh McDaniel see this and they miss the forest for the trees and they go, "Oh, we're just being more aggressive now. Oh, we're just going for it more now. Like this is now I have I have cover for this decision. It seems justifiable." So then they make these choices and like you learn, all right, firstly, they're coin flips on the data. The data's like, yeah, 50-50. You're like, you, know, you can do either one. But if you're not prepared for it, if you're just doing it because it's what's done, then you you're, you don't understand the context of it. You don't understand the theory of it. You haven't been coaching all game with this in mind, with this moment and this time. That's where it becomes reckless. That's where it becomes like reactive, right? Is where I think you, if you want to buy into this approach, and I think you should, I think it's the right thing to do, you have to go wholesale. You have to enter every single drive from the first drive of the game to the last drive of the game knowing, all right, we get to a fourth and one, no huddle up to line sneak. Like that's what we do here. We are well, it's four like, down. Team. It's like blackjack two against the 12, right? You kind of have to right. decide how you're playing that for your entire life. You yeah, can't it, be it, like, it, oh, this hand, I'm going to do this. Right. And, and, and that creates a philosophy and a culture that isn't 100% defensible because at times it's like, hey, Staley, that was probably too risky. You probably should have punted the ball away. At least that's our perspective on it. But at least it's holistic. At least it makes sense to everybody in the building. At least it's internally defensible because this is what I decided to be. As opposed to Josh McDaniels just like walking out of nowhere. Like you've been running the football great and go and, and, and going for a two-point conversion where you never expected that's it was shocking. It was it was 
astounding. That's what makes it feel reckless is like relative to the context. So I think well, that, then, go ahead. No, I was just going to say on the flip side with Harbaugh, who took shit for not going for it and betraying the Ravens. Mm-hmm. They've always been aggressive, pro-analytics. I was okay with it. And I talked about this on Sunday night, but I've been thinking about it more why I liked it. And I think I was trying to think like, what did he see with that? Because I think he's a smart coach, right? There's probably, Mm -hmm. we probably have seven or eight good coaches. That's it. He's one of them. He knew that he needed to get to probably 19 points, right? To get, the game was, it was 13, 10. It's fourth quarter. Bengals hadn't done a ton. He goes up six. One outcome is the Bengals just can't get a touchdown. You win anyway. The other mm-hmm. outcome is the Bengals drive down and get a touchdown. They're up one. But I have Justin Tucker. I just need to get to like the 45. I need to return the kick. I need three first downs. I have Lamar who missed a couple throws, but for the most part. So the worst case scenario is I get a kickoff return and I'm home and I go 35, 38 yards and I'm in field goal range. And the other team knows I have Justin yeah. Tucker and they're going to be playing it that way. And I just know I can get those yards. So there's two outcomes where I can win. And then there's the other outcome where I don't get the first down on fourth down. And now I'm up three and the Bengals can go down and now they're up four. And now I've lost Mm -hmm. the Tucker advantage. I just thought it was defensible. People were acting like he completely betrayed analytics who the Ravens were. I was like, I don't know, man. This was a close game. I don't mind taking the points and getting the 16-10. Yeah, I was mad at it at the time. So to me, it was like fourth and three inches. Whenever it's like fourth and like less than 18 inches, I'm like, I right, just go, just fall forward. So I was mad at the time. And then modeling wise, it was a it was a toss up. It was like a slight edge to go, but it was generally in the 50-50 range. And it's because of that context you described. When you go up with six, with this little time left, it's extremely unlikely you'll need anything more than a field goal to win the game. And that just shortens the field. You don't need to go 80 yards. You need to go, like you said, 35, 40 yards. And then, we're in the range to at least try this thing with the greatest kicker. They they had a play call in for that, right? It was they had like the Mark Andrews tight end goes under the center and runs the QB yeah. sneak thing, and it was okay if we don't like the look, we'll just kill it, take the delay a game and go. And Andrews gets under center, and the Bengals just got big Josh Dupo, three hundred thirty pounds, and right over the center. And they go, all right, we're going to kill it and take the six, right? That's good coaching. That's that's understanding the through line of like, here's my analytics department. Here's me. Here's what play calls I like. Here's what team I've got. Here's what I've got in terms of Justin Tucker and the advantage he gives me as a kicker. I know all my pieces. This is what's going to give us the best chance to win. As opposed to McDaniels being like, I want to be aggressive and put pressure on the Chiefs. And it's like, did you tune in for the divisional game last year? The Chiefs got a field goal with 13 seconds on the clock. Why would you want to put pressure on the Chiefs? The the goal with the Chiefs is to lead for two seconds. And it's the last two seconds of the game. You don't want to be beating Mahomes with four minutes left. That's where there's there's a, a dissonance. There's a, a, a misunderstanding of how this entire thing plays together. So, well, the, but, but if McDaniels had said, Look, the Chiefs had their backup kicker. I watched them kick in warmups, and I just felt like if we get a one-point lead, that it would be really hard for them to trust that guy to make a kick. Mm-hmm. And we would put pressure on them. Even if he had put that amount of thought into it, I still would have disagreed, but I would have been like, all right. At least he thought about like this one component of it, but just putting pressure on Pat Mahomes is like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard yeah. for a rationale. What did you think of in week four when uh, Ravens-Bills fourth and two tie ball game and the Ravens go for a touchdown instead of going up three? I would have taken the three. No, I liked the seven. I thought that was the right call with, I'm with, not, with, with the Bills. I, I thought it was the right call. I'm not against... So I've, I've been lucky enough to watch Belichick for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And Belichick, who I think is one of the reasons that he's the greatest coach ever, is just an incredible game manager, right? It's always like... Mm-hmm. 
end of the first half, start of the second half, when to take points versus when to go for it. Belichick loves taking points. He did this with the Lions on Sunday. They took field goals a bunch of times. I know. It's like, I was oh, on the man. Over. It drove, You're right. drove me nuts. It, it sucked. It we lost the me. over. It sucked. But he looked at it and said, you know what? I'm going to bank these points. They have Jared Goff. I own Jared Goff. And if we can get up double digits, they're not going to be able to come back. So I, it goes back to the whole context thing. And I just think the coaching, I, what you laid out was with Staley or Stefanski, if they just came out and said, we're going for it every fourth down. This is just what we've decided. I would respect that more than just fly by night. Sometimes we go for it. Staley seems like he is just a mess. Like he really does. He just doesn't seem like he can decide every 10 minutes what he's going to do. So yeah. anyway, let's, can we talk a uh, couple gambling things really quick? Let's do it. Eagles, Cowboys, you have the Ringers Philly special with Shield, which is uh, just a heroic podcast for the Philly fans. Cowboys, it's like, it's in that five to six range right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, your O-line is banged up. I'm going to yep. probably stay away from this game on million dollar picks because I think so much of it hinges on who is not going to play versus who's going to play on that Eagles line. Give me the, like when we get to Sunday, give me like the thing to look for in the injury report with the Eagles offensive line. That would make me want to flip and just grab either the points or the money line with Dallas. Who would be like so, the crucial, Oh my God, this guy's out guy. It'd be Kelsey for sure, which I don't expect Kelsey to be out. Uh, Kelsey was banged up for a little bit of the game, but he came back in against the Cardinals. So I don't, I don't think that'll be a big one. But if Kelsey's out, Kelsey is the entire running game, right? In terms of how unbelievable he is on the move, they can't, they can't like they'll run zone and pull Kelsey instead of just blocking up with the guards because he's that much better than the alternative guys. Nobody else mm. in the league does this. So Kelsey is the guy. My lot is also really important just because they have two elite rushers, Aaron Demarcus Lawrence and Michael Parsons. So if you're down one of your right tackles, you you have to protect him against against what the, the Cowboys do, which I think the Eagles can do. They've typically been really really good when the chips are down and their lines hurt. Jeff Stoutland, one of the best O line coaches in the league. Um, but I uh, the Eagles have faced by most metrics a defensive schedule that ranks somewhere between like 32nd and 31st, uh, you know, with, with the Cardinals and Washington and Detroit and just everybody they faced. Uh, this is the best defense they faced by a mile. So to me, this is an underspot, uh, which uh, everything's been an underspot so far this year. But 42 and a half is a little bit too much for the Eagles getting, I think, a real defensive test for the first time all season. I'm going to give you a statement about this game that has nothing to do with logic, research, anything. Just me being an old guy who's watched football forever. The reason you lose this game, if you lose, is because if you win this game, I don't see a loss until week 16. It would have to be like... the Cowboys again, right? That's Dak? Yeah. It would would either be that or Green Bay week 12. But God, you got bye week, Pittsburgh, at Houston, Washington, at Indy. I mean, those are four more layups. I don't know how you pulled off all these layup games. Home mm-hmm. for Green Bay, home for Tennessee, at the Giants, I guess, could be a tough one. Maybe that would be the one at Chicago, at Dallas, so three in a row. So that, that would be the key stretch. The point is, 12-0 and 0 is sitting there if you get through this game. And I don't know, man. I, I think this Eagles team is really good. I don't. This doesn't feel like a 12-0 start kind of team. There's going to be one game where something weird happens, and this feels like it would be the game if that's going to happen. I agree there's going to be some game where something weird happens. Dallas's ability to create pressure is is pretty unparalleled in the league. And I think that, right, Hurts has been extremely good protecting the football so far this year. If there's a game where that gets given up against, like, Trevon Diggs, how good he is intercepting the ball at the catch point with the way they put pressure, losing the ball in the pocket, this could be one of those. So, yeah, I 
I am hopeful the Eagles eventually lose a game soon, even if it's a dumb one. Because I just I don't know if this team is suited to carrying the undefeated thing for as long as they do. Like Hurts is obviously such mm. a good professional in terms of his messaging, and like you know, some guy mentioned five and zero in the post game press. He was like, I don't want to hear five and zero. I don't like it. Like he's got he's already kind of got that like veteran mindset to it. But the rest of the team is pretty young. Uh, you know, Nick Sirianni is a young head coach. I don't know with how few tests they have on their schedule if going undefeated into November and through December is going to be good for them because I think they're going to walk into the playoffs and encounter, you know, that that kind of one and a week and, and that that different beast that comes from the NFL in January is scary. So I'd love if they could just be like, you know, 15 and two. I'll take 15 and two. Just very, you know, very nice. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about Sunday is there's four teams that could come out of Sunday where we will say that's the best team in the league. Because I mm-hmm. even think if Dallas goes into Philly and just lays the smack down on them in a real way, we could leave that game going, that's the best team in the league. They play defense better than anyone else does anything. KC, um, who's getting points at home to the point yeah. that it's like, now it's like dangling a carrot in front of me. It's like, I know, I'm like, it's I'm gonna so get, tough. I'm going to Holmes and three points at home? What, what are you doing to me? Um, I'm alarmed by, I picked the Chiefs for this season. There's been some alarming stuff so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have lost the Vegas game. The Colts game was an absolute debacle. Um, and I, I just, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned that Vegas, that Jacobs just ran through them. Like Jacobs was the best player in the field in that game. Yeah. Uh, I thought Vegas, their offense, I thought was more explosive and looked better. And, you know, if Adams just holds on to that pass, they win the game anyway. Um, I'm a little concerned. So the, the, the plus two and a half actually makes sense to me. And yet I would not go against Mahomes and Arrowhead. And I do wonder, was there a little yeah. bit of a look ahead with them with this? Were they save it? Are they saving anything? Is this a kitchen sink game for them? What do you think? I very much agree that like I look at Bill's Chiefs in a, in a vacuum and I'm like, yeah, Bills are probably about five points better than this team. Like the Bills are yeah. extremely good. They're balanced everywhere. They're incredible. And then I look at Mahomes and Arrowhead and I go, okay, well, I'm not obviously I'm not fading that. And then there's there's a there's a great conflict there. This pulling in two different directions. The main issue with the Chiefs, you know, in terms of the uh, loss of Tyreek Hill is that, yeah, their wide receiver participation and their deep passing participation have both substantially dropped. Mahomes is, uh, has fewer than 50% of his receiving yards going to wide receivers this season, which is like him, Daniel Jones, and one other quarterback, I want to say. It's extremely low. And then his deep passing numbers have completely fallen off a cliff. They have not been able to find deep connections with MBS, with Miko Hardman, who's never been that for them, and Juju's underneath guy, and Travis is like an underneath to intermediate guy at this stage in his career. They don't stretch the field vertically nearly as much as they used to. They're still cool. You know, they flood zones, and they get the backs involved, and they run the gadget stuff, and Kelsey and Mahomes off script are literally unmatched in the league. There's no better pair when the when things break down than Kelsey Mahomes and their ability to find space together. So it all still works. It just doesn't work as explosively. It doesn't work as downfield as it used to. If they get into a boat race like they did, like the game was last year, right, in 2021, and in the divisional yeah. round, they're not suited for that anymore. Not the, the, the Bills are better suited for that, which means they have to play a little bit more ball control, a little bit more hold on to the clock, a little bit more get to second down, get to third down, keep Josh Allen on the sideline, which, as they themselves have proven with Mahomes over the last four years, doesn't really work. Because the other guy's just too good, right? Right. And and so unless you get, I think, a surprisingly solid performance from the Chiefs' defense, I think this is a Buffalo cover. With that said, 
I will not be fading Mahomes at Arrowhead. I won't. I will. I will get to four o'clock, and I will not fade Mahomes at Arrowhead. I will. I will pull it off. I think we're aligned that if you're betting the Chiefs, I think you got to do the under because I think those go hand in hand. Yes. If they I win, it's going to be because they, and they'll see it. They'll do the old Belichick style. They'll just slow it down, forty seconds per play, mm-hmm. just try to shorten the game. Basically, uh, what's your favorite game this week for uh, uh, for betting purposes? Yeah. I like Bucks minus eight against the Steelers a lot. Uh, this Steelers team is extremely bad. Uh, Pickett's not ready. Uh, he's accurate, but everything else around him is is not of NFL caliber. He's not an NFL arm, right? Where he's like an above average arm. He's not an above average NFL athlete. He's not an above average NFL processor, right? Like a lot of the book on Pickett was, oh, good in the pocket, get to his third read. He doesn't do that. He just throws back shoulder, deep ball, Hail Mary, you know, comeback stuff on the outside of George Pickens and Chase Claypool, which is better than what Mitch was doing, but not much. Najee's not playing well. They got to involve more Jalen Warren. The line isn't good. Matt Canada is the worst offensive coordinator in the league. There's not a good thing on this Steelers offense not named George or Deontay. And those are those guys are going to be limited by what their quarterback's doing. Now you get a Todd Bowles defense. Jamel Dean, been one of the best corners in the league. By man coverage metrics over the la- over the first five weeks, Carlton Davis, one of the best pest man corners in the league, they're going to dominate uh, at the front. They're going to dominate on the line of scrimmage against these receivers, make it tough to get that back shoulder game working, and then they're going to blitz the ever living daylights out of Kenny Pickett. And he's not he's not ready to handle that. Like it, it's not his fault. He isn't. He wasn't brought along properly to be ready for this sort of a game. Uh, so last week was a was a good week for me with Bills minus thirteen and a half and a lot of Steelers team total unders. I'll be on the same thing. Uh, for the Tampa game, especially because when Tampa gets the ball, uh, this Steelers defense r- remains pretty bad against the run. Run defense, uh, 26th in the league by EPA per play. They're going to feed Lenny. They're going to feed Mike Evans, right? Because the Steelers outside corners are bad. They're going to have the ball for 38 minutes. Steelers aren't going to score a lot of points. So I like Bucks against the spread. I like Steelers team total unders. And I'll like that until the Steelers play a bad team or show me that they're better. Tampa beats Dallas in week one by 16. Kind of an ugly game. Mm-hmm. New Orleans by 10 and Week two, they lose to Green Bay, they lose to KC, take a big lead against Atlanta, and then almost blow it, and arguably should have. They're kind of due for a 42 to 10 type game, you'd think. I was thinking about teasing them. I don't know who your other teaser team is, but I love the Pats plus eight and a half in Cleveland. Was the one I was looking at. Love the Bucks and teasers, love the Jags and teasers, love the Saints and teasers, and love the Pats and teasers this week. Very good teaser week. Horrible week for straight betting. Just so many two and threes versus three and twos. And these guys are on the road. Like, I want a feel on Saints Bengals really badly. I want to feel good enough about the Saints. I can't get there. Uh, Niners Falcons is causing me a headache. I've been really good betting both of these teams this year. Yeah. They're playing each other, and I'm just nowhere on them, which is really frustrating. A lot of the totals are correct, right? We've seen the totals come down now after a lot of unders in the first four weeks. So it's tough to feel good about a lot of these single spots, which is why teasers feel nice to me this week. And so, Bucks, Jags, uh, Pats, and Saints, I like a lot in teasers. Saints are looking like the Sharp team this week. Not Warren Sharp, but the actual Sharp. The uh, yeah. Bengals. I, I mean, the the case for the Bengals would be if they go two and four, That's they're on the road to nowhere at that point because their schedule is pretty tough. So in a weird way, it's a must win for them. I don't think there's a must win for anyone in the NFC until like week 60 because yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to be like eight and nine might be a seven seed. Um but I like New Orleans in that spot, too. It just requires betting on Andy Dalton. Yeah, which, if you can't get Andy Dalton, get Taysom Hill anytime touchdown. Because guess what? Once they get in the red zone, they stop using Andy and they start using Taysom. Good point. Yeah, so Saints. So that would be a little same gamer, then. Saints, yeah. 
Taysom Hill. What's the third piece of that? Under probably at 43 and a half. Uh, Bengals yeah. team total under also, I think, if you're going to pick a team total, it feels stronger. Uh, the style of defense that Cincinnati has run into troubles with is the, si- is the style of defense that Dennis Allen majors in, right? So they're going to be comfortable running the stuff that forces the Bengals to try to get under center and run the football. And whenever the Bengals try to get under center and run the football, they score 13 points. Tough. All right. I thought we were going to go 35 minutes. We went 50. Ben Solak. Oh, holy smokes. I've got another pod. Good, good, luck, good luck with the Cowboys. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. You be well. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Peter Schrager is here from the NFL Network. From Fox, his new podcast. What's the new podcast called? Podcast is called The Season with Peter Schrager. Once I saw Meghan Markle had a podcast, I said I got to get into the game. I mean, time. It's that, time. that was red flag for everybody. Um, we we are back. We're going to do million dollar picks together this week. Yes, dude. We got to mix it up. I talked about this at the top. I tried to do this new thing where I talked to you. I talked to Solak. Then I did the million dollar picks like two hours later after I put more thought into it. And just bad luck all the way around. The gambling gods were like, you know what? We liked you and Traeger together. We liked his fist pumps as you rattled off the picks. One of the things we're looking at, and this allows us to get into the Giants. The Giants money line, plus Mm. 205 at home against Baltimore. The Giants are four and one. They're in that nice, delicious, (laughs) surprise team. Nobody expected anything. Now that's starting to get into a little bit toward mid-October. People wondering, wait a second, is this, is this potentially real? There's so ba- so many badly coached teams that to just see a well-coached team with a new coach feels like a revelation. Um, Saquon is looking like, if he's not the best running back, he's one of the three best. Mm-hmm. He's a legitimate weapon. They have a pass rush. They have a home field advantage. And now you have the Ravens coming there and it just has all the makings of this line should be three and instead it's six. Uh, Empty your notebook on the Giants. What do you got? Like the the most positive, good vibes possible coming back from a trip from London, down 14 points in the second half, coming back and winning. But in a way that I would say is not miraculously against the Packers, held them scoreless in the second Long half. Long drives, like 13, Long, 15 play drives. 11 play drives without Saquon even on the field, that 11 play drive. Um, they came back and it was one of these deals talking to sources in New York where it was like, we're not that surprised. Like the Packers had some things that came up on film and like, we really felt that this was a good matchup for us. And they, they came back and that was huge. And it's such a relief for giants fans and for us who observe the game. Like the giants have always prided themselves on great coaching. And that goes back to when Parcells was there with Belichick to when Coughlin was there. And like, for years, it's been this rotating door of coaching, and it's uh, this Giants football. We're going to try to convince ourselves that the Joe Judge thing is Giants football, but 
This is what like Giants football is. Three tight ends run the ball with a quarterback who is going to just be fearless and tough as shit. Whether or not he can complete passes or not, we're not sure. He hasn't had to do that yet. What he's done is run this offense that Brian Dable has drawn up. And then on the flip side of it, a defensive mastermind in Wink Martindale who is yeah. like, okay, what are the assets? All right, let's send the house. Let's bring all the dogs. And those two deflections of Aaron Rodgers on the third and fourth down, that was like Wink's football in a nutshell. We might not have all the guys. We might not have the scheme to to match up with everyone, but we're just going to send the house and deal with it. And Rodgers couldn't deal with it. I'll, I'll say this. Well, this I, know, I know a little revenge game for Wink this yeah. week, right? I mean, it, it, there's no other way to say it. So here's how it goes. So Wink Martindale was with Harbaugh since like 2012. Was like the linebackers coach, like has like this great history with him, then gets elevated to defensive coordinator. And his first three years with the Ravens, they're like a top five defense all three years. They're all healthy. One of those years, Lamar goes and wins the MVP. And after Lamar won the MVP, Wink interviewed for the Giants head coaching job. And I remember speaking to, fo to folks in New York, like, is this really a possibility? And it was like, he was in the conversation and they hired Joe Judge. Wink goes back to Baltimore as another great top five defense. And then last year, they have a bunch of injuries. Things start falling apart. You know, Lamar's not on the field on offense. And I'm making excuses at all, but like it fell apart. And I mean, they had the worst injury luck any team in the league last year. We know that. He got blamed. Gets blamed. And then it's one of these deals where it's like, maybe it's best for both of us. Wink was a, is like a high energy in your face, dude. Talked to Sean Payton last week. Or something. He's like, Wink reminds me of Rex and Rob Ryan. And I'm like, spot on. Like that is the kind, if you could picture Rex and Rob, like with the, in your face, I'm a player, but I'm really a coach. And like, that's not for everybody. And when you're losing, it's certainly not for everybody. So Harbaugh does this move where he calls his brother, Jim, and he's like, is Mike McDonald, uh, you know, available? Because McDonald is this 35 year old wonderkind. Everyone says he's a whiz kid. He was with the Ravens for years, went for one year to work for Jim. And then John is like, all right, I'm bringing him back. He's going to be a defensive coordinator with us. So that's all celebrated this offseason. They got younger. They've got this young, bright guy. And then, sure enough, the season starts. Mike McDonald's defense had given up you know, the huge lead against Miami, the huge lead against Buffalo. And suddenly people start chirping, did we make a mistake here? Should Wink have stayed? And then meanwhile, Wink is over here in New York and he's getting you know bouquets of flowers. He's on the cover of the New York Post. He's like the most beloved guy. He's got this mullet. He's like fantastic. Um, well, it's perfect, like Jersey football, too, this right? Is right? This is the '80s and like, football, basically, and it's like so Jersey, and it's like that North Jersey Jersey of like, here's one of us. He's blue collar. Send the yeah. dogs. It's LT. It's Carson. It's you know, it's all the guys. And yeah, Solak um, said earlier, breaking about like he's blitzing with like his third and fourth string quarterback. It's crazy. On the island. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's sending everybody, and you're getting stuff like Dexter Lawrence has been widely viewed as maybe like, you know, not fulfilling his first round status. And then he comes here and he's dancing and Wink has got him going. And Xavier McKinney was a second round pick. He's playing great. I could just go through all the guys that are playing well, but you know, Harbaugh, they've been very good publicly. And, you know, they did say it was a mutual parting of ways. There's lots of love and Wink has no ill will and all that stuff. But Wink is one of those dudes that like, he will have his players ready to run through a wall for him on Sunday. So if there is a little X factor that might not show up in all this, it's the Wink factor. But also he went up against Lamar every day in practice. Well, so I was going to ask you, so I do think that's an advantage. I really I think do it for is football too. where you know everything the guy can't do. You just that's watch it 365 days a year. Oh, you're just filing little things away that he's going to use against it. But the thing is, Lamar is great against the blitz. 
he is. And it seems like that would so, be a horrible matchup because Lamar will just run out of anything in the blitz and be able to improv. Here's, here's what it is. When you're in those rooms, like it's almost like Amerta, like what they've got. It's, Hey, we know our inefficient, let's keep it in the house, you know, but you better believe Greg Roman over four years speaking with Harbaugh and Wink in, in closed doors. Yeah, they're having drinks at a hotel. At it's express. Night. Like, here's, God here's, damn it. Lamar can't throw to the left. He <laughs> just can't. Everything we run, he can't do it. So this is going to be interesting. And I think there's a lot of love from those defensive guys um, in Baltimore for Wink. So uh, I love that. Only your podcast, and we start off doing 15 minutes on the defensive coordinator revenge game. But I'm telling well, you, but I think it's a real factor. Also, there's a giant stadium piece of it too, mm-hmm. that certain teams just make sense for the city and the franchise and the organization. This this whole thing feels very giantsy. There's like we don't even have any wide receivers anymore. <laughs> our our quarterback's just gonna get the shit kicked out of him every single game now. Dude, um, you're watching that game. David Sills, the fourth or the fifth, I'm not sure which one. Not, oh, no offense to the Sills family in their in their lineage, has a catch on the sideline that does like a toe drag, toe tap, and it's like this guy's been on the roster for training camp the last three years. Like everyone's right. been waiting for it, and it's like in the big moment against the Packers, uh, national TV. Like there he is, and uh, I think Rogers had a lot of respect for that defense after the game and said as much. Um, I don't know. It feels like a moment in time and it's like a cool moment for, for this fan base that hasn't had anything quite frankly, since Odell left. Yeah. The line's a little disrespectful. Seems like it, it. feels like this should be like Ravens three and a half. The six feels super high. It does. Um, I was looking at the, uh, the giant schedule. They can get through this with some sort of upset at Jacksonville, at Seattle, the next two weeks by week. Then they have a little Houston-Detroit combo at Dallas. They get Washington-Philly home at Washington. And that's probably like, at that point, Rivera's gone. Who knows what kind of dumpster fire hell Dan Snyder is in at that point. Minnesota, Indian at Philly in week 18. Philly will have clinched the one seed three weeks before that game. If so, Dallas doesn't, I mean, it's one of those where you're cobbling together victories and if they can get to nine or 10 wins in the Sears NFC, like that's doable. They could be nine and seven heading into that Philly yeah. game where Philly's just playing every backup they have. So that part's fun. I'm really happy for Saquon. As you know, I think he's the best running back of all time. Uh, I have him one and Walter Payton I love two. Him. I, I, uh, took him, I took him first overall in a fantasy draft and I got laughed and I'm like, he's my guy. I like him too. <laughs> I've never quit on him. Until today, because Ramondre Stevenson is now the best running back of all good. time. Saquon's second. Um, but anyway, we like the Giants. They're plus 205 on FanDuel. For the underdog parlay, which we almost hit last week. Mm. Just missed it. Atlanta, alt line, plus four and a half. That flag killed us. And who did we have with the, with the other one? The money. The we had the Titans, and they did take care of business. Titans took care of business. So our candidates, there's some smaller underdogs, because the Giants being so heavy with the plus 205. I don't want to put the Pats in this because I'd rather bet the Pats straight up because I think okay. they're going to beat the Browns. But we could. Saints plus one and a half. Bengals. The Saints are home. The Sharps like the Saints. The Bengals are still getting this respect that I'm not sure they really deserve. Mm-hmm. And I, I listen, it hurts me because I have some Bengals preseason bets. We have that or we have Seattle against the Cardinals, which... The options for Seattle are we can throw them in underdog parlay. They're plus three. So put that together. It'll be over six to one. We could also do Seahawks first half. 
Why first half? Explain that one. You just think Kyler takes a little while to get going? He always pulls it out at the end? What so I went back because we did this last week. We did a first half bet in a parlay that ended up losing because the Pats game couldn't go over 39. <laughs> we had Pats plus three and a half, Eagles first half against the Cards, over 39, and Dan Campbell was 0 for 6 on fourth downs inside just, the 30. Zero points. So it's like just one of those, all right, God hates me. Um, the Cardinals... Their last 10 first halves, mm-hmm. dating back to the playoff game in last year, they've led one of the 10 times yeah. in the first half. They've been down double digits four times. They've been outscored 154 to 55. Just this year, first half, Eagles 14-10, going backwards. Panthers 10-3. Rams 13-6. Vegas 20-0. Chiefs 23-7. Playoff game, Rams 21-0. And then week 18, Seahawks 17-10. That's just the last seven. They're just getting demolished. And over and over again, in the eye test backs this up, it's Cliff has some sort of script. It doesn't work. Doesn't they work. fall behind. And then Playground Kyler shows up second half. And he's just running around doing Kyler things. And they come back. I just want to bet on this. I like, okay, well, let's Seahawks, see. I'm in. Seahawks plus zero and a half, first half. They don't even have to win the game. Just can you... can. Can you at least have a tie score in the first half or be up in the first half? I think they can do it. Yeah. I, I, you know, you watch the end of that game for Arizona versus the Eagles, and it's so maddening for so many reasons. Um, your take, I know you spoke with Sal immediately after. I, Kyler, everyone's saying it's Cliff and Kyler. Like, to me, that's one of those where if Kyler just dives forward, I know it's like heat of the moment. I didn't play the game. I don't know who am I to say that. But like, if he dives forward, it's a first down. Instead, he slid. It was a football awareness. Right. And that's like failure test. Right. Like just knowing it it, late in the game. If I dive, I can stretch for the yard. If I slide, it's my backhand where it is. And then, of course, all the miscommunication on whether they thought it was a first down or not. That's whatever than a missed field goal. But that kind of stuff, like that's a win. That's a win over the Eagles. That changes your whole season. It's the whole season. Like whatever it is, you find a way to get to overtime in that game and then you can maybe pull it out at home. They haven't won a home game in eight games. Um, I, I agree with you. They come out slow every single game. And on the opposite, you could find very few offenses in this league that comes out better than the Seattle Seahawks and what they do. And I know they lost Penny, but I think Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker is a talent. They have two offensive tackles who are rookies. They've got two defensive backs, Tariq Wooden or Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant, not the basketball player, but the football player who is on the other side of Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati, who are both playing outstanding. And Gino runs Shane Waldron's offense better than Russell did. So I, I would take Seattle in the first half. I might tell you, take Seattle. I know they're underdogs. Take them in this game. I, I feel like Seattle is coming ready to play, and they're in a lot better place headspace-wise than what Arizona seems to be trotting out in the field. And Gino is the most fun story in the league other than the, the Giants. Best. Just like a, I can't believe this is happening story. Except so for Steven Ruiz, who was on it the whole time. <laughs> Stephen Ruiz did talk him up. I think he was big on Daniel Jones also this summer. So let's give him his credit. Um, yeah. I'll also say this about Gino, which is cool. He got offered other jobs in March during free agency. He was His agent was saying that he was, you know, teams came after him, but it was for a number two role. And he was like, let's wait, let's wait. They trade. Drew Locke is there. And whether it was because Gino thought he could beat out Drew Locke or just didn't like the situation, but he signed his fourth straight one-year deal. Mm. with the Seahawks at bet 32. Bet on yourself situation? Yeah, bet on yourself. And I know, think about it in our world. Like, Can you imagine signing four straight one-year deals with the same company every year and saying, okay, well, let's see what happens. Oh, they're only offering me a one-year contract. I'll stick around. Oh, I'm gonna... 
it takes a lot of mental fortitude to be like, don't worry, this is a long play. Once Russell's out of here, like I know this offense and gosh, they love Geno Smith there. Everyone I speak to, they love Geno Smith. So like there's good vibes and it's like this post-Russell Wilson era that we saw that week one game when they were all so excited to beat Russ, but it was also, they were so excited for Geno. It's a good story. They've also, um, offensively, like the nerd stats are very favorable to the Seahawks. And I can't tell how much of that has to do with they've had a favorable schedule with the defenses they've gone against. But still, we were expecting, I thought that was going to be a top three worst. I thought it was going to be them, Washington, Houston, Chicago, maybe those four, right? Yeah. And that's certainly not the case. And then there's the the, Russell Wilson not eligible for the Ewing theory because he won a Super Bowl, sadly. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know there was a corollary to the Ewing theory. I thought it was just a big star leaves. If you win a championship, it can't no. be a Ewing theory. Interesting. If if you brought a title, but I might have to add some addendum to if the title <laughs> was at least like seven years earlier. Maybe there's Or if you won a title and all of your teammates that you won the title would swear it wasn't because of you. Maybe <laughs> <Right>. that's why. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch was on with like Sherman and it was just like... Oh my God, those guys hate him. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, And Marshawn was actually like, I actually want to check in on him, but like Sherm and KJ Wright, like now that it's out in the open, it is a field day on Russ from those guys. And it's been 10 years. It's funny. They're number one in offensive DVOA. Crazy. Baltimore's two, KC's three, Cleveland's four, Philly's five. They're number one in pass DVOA. They're only 12 in rush, but they have the best, according to the nerd stats, best passing offense in the league with Geno Smith. What a legendary trade. What an amazing trade. Fucking victory lap that trade. It's unbelievable. You can't trade your expensive superstar and have this go better than I think the Seahawks. I think think they're paying him. I don't have the number. I think it's 3.5 million. And Russ this year, I think, is making like 40 million. Him and and Huntley, the backup on the Ravens. (laughs) We've always liked guys. I always liked Huntley. I always feel like this could... There's a version of Huntley where this offense, if you just gave him two receivers, good running back, a little bit of a philosophy, I think that would work. So Giant Seahawks is plus 577. Giant Saints is plus 540. So I think the Saints are better with Dalton away. than the Saints are better with Dalton than Jameis. Just small sample size, but like Jameis does not have it. And injured or not, it's only so many times I can buy the same offseason storyline that like Jameis is this is the year. Um Dalton looked very competent last week. He was moving the ball up and down the field and he's a professional quarterback. You know what you're getting with Andy Dalton. Did it with the Cowboys and of course he did it with the Bengals and then I don't see this as like a revenge game or whatever, but it is the Bengals. I'm sure Dalton would like to beat them. And then, you know, the Sharks are out for Zach Taylor right now and it's funny, you know, eight months ago he won won an AFC championship, but some of these decisions and when that happens, and this kind of happened with Matt Rule, when that happens, when it's now becoming not a local story, but a national story, the players start seeing it. And then every questionable call that he makes, there's head scratching amongst the players. And they're like, what's up with this guy? So I'd, I'd be, I mean, he already had to defend his offensive coordinator this week. He was talking about Brian Callahan last week in February, Brian Callahan was the bell of the ball. Like, look what he's doing with Chase and Burrow. It, it's an ugly time in Cincinnati right now. And I would think New Orleans, that building is the last place you want to go. Yeah. So New Orleans, Plus one and a half for the game, plus 110 for the underdogs. So maybe we look at Giants, Saints, and Giants, Seahawks. Let's do both. Or or a three of them, Giants, Saints, Giants, Seahawks, and then Seahawks, Saints. I mean, that's that's really aggressive. 
That's almost as aggressive as going for it on a fourth and one on You're your doing own 46. A little shovel pass? It's the Browns. Yeah. Um, let's take a break because I just realized I had a recording issue and everybody had to listen to my Zoom audio for the last 50 minutes. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. All right, let's talk about the Pats. I went on off the pike with Brian Barrett. I'm bullish on this Patriots team. That was one of the reasons I wanted to go on. They are plus 280 to make the playoffs. They're 24 to 1 to win the AFC East. Okay. Which I stared at for a second. No, I was like, all right, yeah. Chiefs beat the Bills. Maybe Allen has a high high ankle sprain. Like, who knows? Is there 24 versions of the season where there's one of them where, but yeah, I didn't Maybe, do that one. Yeah. Um, the Pats hit two drafts in a row, which is just unbelievable. This last draft they did, they got five guys who are playing like real minutes for them. List them. I, I love Zappy and Jones, but list the five. Let me hear. You got Cole, well, Strange. Cole Strange. Yep. Thornton's back, yep. which makes their receivers. Now they have a trade to make with Bourne or Aguilar if they want to. Uh, Panda Jack, Jack Jones, who's mm -hmm. become a shutdown corner. The Marcus Jones, who is like a really, really, really good kickoff returner. And yep. then Zappy. And then Pierre Strong now is going to be the uh, we'll backup see. running back. So they have guys all over the place. Then last year, Stevenson, who looks like a top five running back right Day now. Day three pick is fantastic. Yeah. Barmore on the defensive Great. line and then Mac Jones. So they got yeah. eight guys in the last two drafts that I feel like are starters potentially. The the Jack Jones story, you call him Panda Jack. It, the, for the listeners, I, I mean, we could talk about it. It's because I've done a lot of work in the last couple of weeks. I remember during the draft, it was like red flag, red flag, red flag. The story for everyone is guy is a standout in high school, goes to USC, you know, doesn't have the academic grades, takes a year off. And when he took his year off, basically walked into an empty panda bite and tried robbing the place, gets arrested. They drop the charges, gets a misdemeanor, 45 days of house arrest, comes out of it. And Herm Edwards shows up and is like, I believe in you, young man. <laughs> like, we're going to find a place for you. Goes to Arizona State. And then there's this great redemption story, all conference. 
And then he gets in a huge fight and they suspend him. And it's like, all right, well, there's Jack Jones. That's like that story. Then last Two red year flags, comes, you're done. It comes back and was like outstanding. And of course, every team passes on him. No, it, Belichick sits with him, looks him in the eye. And, you know, it's early, but they're like, we love this guy. He's great in the building. And talking to Jason McCourty, who's my co-host on Good Morning Football, he comes in like all smiles. And he's like, Dev, his brother, who's still there, is like, this kid's amazing. Like they lost JC Jackson, but this kid's got great high energy, believes in everything. Like was, was joking around that like Rogers shouldn't have challenged him. Like that kind of stuff, like has great up, up energy and a ton of confidence. And that's the stuff that like other teams are like, well, I'm not putting my name on it, but Belichick's like, all right, fourth round, I'll take Jack Jones. I know this guy's a first round talent. He's just had some issues in the past and let's hope he's redeemed himself. He was a five-star high school recruit. Yep. Like one of like the elite of the elite in his high school class. They bet on talent and speed over and over again because they got their ass kicked in that Buffalo game. Mm-hmm. And I do think this team, I said this on the Barrett podcast, I'll say it again. I do think this team kind of found its identity during that Packers game. And we went on that night and I was telling Sal, I was like, I think something's here. Like I can yeah. tell the way Belichick was coaching. I could tell the way Kyle was reacting. Like he was not sneaking out for beers. He was really locked into the game. Um, but they know they're run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make mistakes, pass rush and a bunch of safeties. And now that Jack Jones can actually play, like they, they just can kind of move around. They can cover all types of things. They can show different looks. They were so predictable last year on both sides of the ball. Yeah. You always knew when they were going to run the ball. You always knew what they were doing defensively and they, and they don't feel predictable anymore. But I think the zappy thing is a real thing. I don't, I think, look, Mac's going to end up being the starter yeah. when he's healthy, but they're also not going to bring him back till he's healthy. And when they bring him back, they're going to tell him like, you can't make mistakes anymore. You're going to lose your job. If you play the way you did in those first three games, we have another guy and we'll play him. Belichick gives, he doesn't care. No fucks. He doesn't care. He he's doesn't this care where you were again. drafted. Yeah. He did it. Brady and Bledsoe he traded Laura Malloy. He traded Seymour out of nowhere for a first round pick. Like, he doesn't care. It's like, who's the better asset? What can I get? Can I turn this person into a better asset? He'll just do it. So with the Zappy thing, there is something real going on here because Zappy's playing the way they wanted Mac Jones to play. Hmm. And I, they've been a more conservative for them. Barrett was listing all these stats about how he's not throwing into tight windows. Um, they're doing way more play action with him. It's like the little subtle things. But they don't want, they don't want their quarterback to throw to a, a guy who is like just tightly covered in the middle of the field where the ball could bounce off his shoulder pad and go up. They just want to like get first downs, keep the, keep the chains moving. And I think this Browns thing, I think they're going to win this game and they're going to come out of this weekend and people are going to be like, hmm, hmm the Pats, right. there's something here. But it's I don't like, think people Bill, think that, that was kind of like, kind of like last year. Started off right. one and three. I think the, the Brady game must've been around this week and Mac held his own and you're like, we lost, but shit, we might have something. And then they won seven straight. Like that could be the blueprint again. Well, and they have the easy schedule coming. Yeah, the next four after this are pretty good. I think they're catching the Browns pretty good time. The Browns defense is abominable. Terrible. I mean, the Browns are 31st on defense. And they've got a lot of talent. I know that Garrett's... I'm sorry, they're 32nd on DVOA and defense. They played Baker, Mayfield, Flacco, Mariota, Trubisky, and Herbert. How are you the last ranked defense? I know Garrett was out a couple weeks, but that's embarrassing. Herbert's the only even above average quarterback they've played, and they've played four of like the stinkers. Trubisky got benched. 
We're yeah. never going to see Baker again. Yeah. Mariota doesn't complete passes. So uh, I don't know. I think this is a good matchup for them. Then you have the Belichick Cleveland history. I really like the Pats. Okay. I'm with you. I think that's a good, that's a good analysis. The only X factor here is that, you know, Chubb and Hunt, they could have 192 yards rushing and it could be one of those games too. And as good as the Patriots rush defense has been, this is a different type of deal, what they've got behind, behind their line of scrimmage. So what does Belichick do in these situations? Oh, you can do this one thing. We're going to take away you're your... you're not really good at the other thing. We're going to take away your right we hand. We know what he does. with your left. Yeah. He's just like, we're not letting Chubb. Jacoby, throw for 380 yards. Good luck. Yeah. So and I like the pass. Nobody, n- nobody knows Jacoby better than Bill. And maybe the only other guy is Parcells. And uh, I, I think they're going to see if Brissett and Amari Cooper could beat him through the sky. We'll see. I also think the coaching... I mean, the Stefanski cost them two wins in a row there, the Falcons, and then last week against the Chargers with some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. I just think Belichick's a better coach. Is there and never I, been a season where the good coaches, and I think Stefanski is a good coach, but like the time management, all that stuff, like, has it been a greater delta between the good coaches and the bad coaches out there? It's like unbelievable. Every week we're like, what is going on in this team? And then you see the good teams that are well coached and it might be Seattle with Pete and it might be Belichick or it's, you know, whoever San Francisco with Kyle finding a way with all those injuries. It's just like, Oh, they're not going to make mental errors. They might lose, but they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot every game. It's a game management thing, right? You said Stefanski is a good coach. I'm sure like intellectually as somebody who puts together game plans and stuff, I'm sure he's really good, Mm -hmm. but this team has had big leads in the first half, I think, yeah. in at least three of the games that they just squandered. And they do the dumb Jets stuff. Jets game, yeah. Yeah, they do dumb shit. They blow games. Um, even Chubb not going down in that Jets game, that was literally a win that they just yeah. gave away because Chubb didn't know to go down. That would never happen with the, like, no matter what kind of Pats team there is, they don't do stuff like that. So um, so that's another one. Uh, Solak, his favorite one was the Bucks against the Steelers putting the Bucks in a tease potentially. Like that the Steelers are done. Ste- so the Bucks just bring in a tease to bring them down to minus two and a half. Now you get yeah, six I mean, points to play with another game. Bucks My are question healthy. is Steelers yeah, have- the, the Bucks kind of need a we kicked your ass game against somebody and the Steelers look like they're the worst team in the league and they're a complete mess. So I, I'm going to have the Bucks minus down to two and a half in a tease. Okay. The question is, do you trust the Jags mm. plus seven and a half against the Colts? The case would be they killed them in week two. Now, yep. the Colts were missing a couple guys, but still, they that game was over in five minutes. It was crazy. Um, Lawrence has had success. You know, wherever you stand on him, his last two Colts games were great. But his last so two I, games have been terrible. His last two games have been terrible, but his last two Colts games are great. To me, it's like, if I can get the Jags plus seven and a half, then... Matt Ryan and the Colts offense, which is by far the worst offense of the league, has to beat them by eight plus. I just I don't, don't see, see it. I don't see it either. And I think that the Jaguars could score in a hurry if they had to at the end. Also, like going backwards, they're 14 nothing on the Eagles and Lauren and terrible weather. Yeah. Lawrence starts fumbling the ball. Eagles come back. Last week, Damian Pierce just running all over the place. Well, yeah. And th- it's six six and there's a bad pick. Yeah, they're inside like the three. Oh, Lawrence could have just run for a first down. He throws it in traffic. There's a pick. That's one play. And then the other one was they get the stupid penalty to extend the drive, like the classic. I think you and I were the only two people on earth watching Jaguars Texans as closely as we did. I was watching it the same way. I I had it on the big screen too. And I'm like, the, the Jags just could not get out of their own way in that game. They could not. 
Well, it's interesting because they're now a pretty good division bet if you believe in them at all. They're plus 240. I think the Colts are terrible. Yeah. I really do. Like, I, I think they're terrible. I think they're two plays away from being on five. You could say Chris Jones, the third and 15 rough in the passer, if that's, that's not called. If Hackett kicks a field goal to go up six, they're on five. There's just that, that's it. It's two plays. Instead, they're two and three. They're the favorites on FanDuel. They're plus 155. Because Frank Reich, Frank Reich teams do this. They always start shitty. And then they just like rattle off wins. And then you wake up in late December and it's like, oh, the Colts are went away from clinching the division. And then they'll ultimately either clinch it or lose the last two games like they did last year. But you have to think with all the talent on that roster, it's going to start coming together. It just hasn't yet. And then you have Tennessee, who is somehow three and two, who's been well, they, a little they, better defensively than people think. But I don't trust them either. No, but they've they've put it together the last three weeks. They've won three straight games. And like last week's game, that should have been Washington in a million ways. And Tennessee just is one of those teams that like, all right, got the big interception at the end. They do that all the time. Yeah. And they grit out wins. And it's always like 21-17. It's not like a 38-3 to blowout, but they just win ugly. And they run the ball with Henry. And Tannehill actually is playing really well right now. Yeah. Vrabel. I know, I know somebody who knows him, and I think <laughs> they're, I think they're surprised that that they're three and two. I think this had all the makings of maybe this is a transition year for us. We'll try to figure out if this rookie quarterback, yeah, down the road, and now it's like, all right, if might as well, you're just gonna, if you're just gonna leave the AFC South division Seriously. on our front porch, I'm gonna open my door and I'm gonna grab it. Agreed. But I don't. I think they had a lot of bad luck. They lost some guys, and I'm not sure they thought this was an AFC South. Title team, yeah, they lose Burks and then like Nick Westbrook Aquina shows up yeah, and has a big game. Stupid. Like that's what they do. They find guys. They always do. That's them. All right. So Jags plus seven and a half with the okay. Bucks. I think that's one. Pats, definitely. Seahawks first half. And then we put the Saints in with the Giants and the Giants with the Seahawks. The only other one I was interested in. Yeah. The Panthers being plus 10 to the Rams. I know the Panthers just fired their coach. I know it's kind of a dumpster fire. There's been rumors they might have a fire sale, which I don't totally believe. They won't. That's not happening. They'll, they'll, I think if I'll tell you my information on that, if someone calls and it's like, we want three first round picks for Brian Burns, they'll trade Brian Burns or Christian McCaffrey, but they're certainly not looking to trade guys, you know, 50 cents on the dollar for no reason. They, they just like, we're we've got a good team. It's just, we got to figure out the coaching situation. Yeah, and I've watched a lot of Carolina because I had, that was like my big. Yeah, I know. And it turned out it was the Giants that are the team. I, the, I can't believe they made the playoffs team is going to yeah. be the Giants, not the Panthers. With that said, Panthers are one and four. It's fucking early. It's a 17 game season now. One and four is not a death sentence. I just, the quarterback, and it's not, it's PJ Walker might be fine. I'm talking Baker. Bill, I, I, no, I Baker, big, I'm writing off Baker. That's that's a wrap. Can you imagine a worse scenario for Baker Mayfield? Goes into the no. final year of a contract, new team, all this hope. If you just get to free agency and have a decent season, you can make $20 million next year. Statistically, I do the ESPN rankings as the QBR. Like, there's like... 16, he didn't like break a record for the threshold crazy. of bad QBR. So, so I think there's like 16 quarterbacks over the number 60. There's like 20 over the number 50. Then like Joe Flacco's at 30. Baker Mayfield is at like 16 for his QBR. He's the worst in the league and maybe worst historically. And now he's in a walking boot. It's like, could anything have gone worse for Baker? And I'll tell you what's crazy. Talking around the league about the talent because I ask people, I'm like, all right, so who would you want to trade for? Their offensive line sucks, right? And it's like, 
to a man. Like every other team that I speak to is like, their offensive line is actually really good. They've got a good offensive line, a lot of yeah. young talent. Like Baker was just abominably bad. And part of that has to be, you can't say it's not the coaching. That, yeah. that it's at least a small piece for whatever. But he was, he, to me, he just looked kind of broken. He looked and like Carson Wentz in that last Eagles year. Where it's yeah. like just mentally the things that were happening and like the, the it looked like it wasn't connecting brain to body. And it's like, oh, this guy's broken right now. Like something needs to be fixed with him. And that was Carson at the end of the, the Eagles. By the way, that's been a lot of quarterbacks over the last 20 years when it kind of goes sideways for them, when they for lose that, that kind of swagger. Right? Yeah. yeah. They lose the swagger. Uh, can I interest you in Giants plus 205? Panthers plus 370? No. no. At 13 to 1 odds? No. Okay. No. Not that the Rams are going to look like uh, lights out or anything. I just, the Panthers, I don't see them. Okay. I, I feel like this is one where McVay desperately needs this before the bye week and they desperately need something to hang their head on. Mac Jones and a second for Brian Burns. Who says no? Are you that in on Bailey Zappi? I'm just asking who says no. I mean, yeah, I think Mac Jones for Brian Burns is a good trade. You throw in a second round pick. If you're the Patriots, you got to listen to that. Brian Burns is really good. So is Jeremy Chin. They've got some good players on that defense. They draft decent like players. They have the guys. It just, it doesn't look good. What about Uche in a first for Brian Burns? Not enough. I need to throw in a second. Also. Yeah. Burns is like really good. I'm aware. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if the Pats could get Burns, what kind of defense they could have. Like how good could that defense be with one more pass rusher? You know, the interesting thing is like the Mac Jones thing, we laugh about it and it's like Tepper's not going to want to do that, I don't think, but he's just crazy enough where it's like, oh, I'll take your first round asset if you want. We can still say like, that. Right. That's the one owner where like he will pick up the phone and listen. The bummer if I'm a Carolina fan is I just would have gone after Huntley. Because I think Huntley has a chance to be like a r above average quarterback versus I guess they got Baker for free, whatever. And it was cheap. I certainly it thought million. it was worth the gamble. No, I get it. And he, you know, he put started in the playoffs two years. And Darnold, ago, look, thing. PJ Walker's like he'll be fine, whatever. But like Darnold, Darnold still has now ten weeks if he gets on the field. Who knows? Like, I, they've got what their problem was. They never just went for it and got the Watson or got the Stafford or got. They always were hedging, and they're like, all right, we're gonna go with. Well, they didn't hedge with Bridgewater. They spent like sixty they million did. bucks on him. And that was like a he legitimate wasn't the guy. spend. I know. And they realized he mm. wasn't the guy. And then it was like, we're spaying him. Now we're going to pay this guy, this guy, this guy. I'll tell you, they, they were very much involved in the Stafford. Yeah. Um, in the Stafford talks. And then once McVeigh gets in a hot tub with Stafford, away we go. Hmm. McVeigh yeah. can't get in that guy's hot tub, man. Can't. Can it's I ask closer. you a question? Should the yeah. Rams be favored by 10 points over anyone in the league? No, but this is the one team where it's like if they need a, a pinata, like this is the week and they desperately need a pinata. But they, this is the, we just fired our coach. We get a little hop in our step week, week. Okay, uh, sure. Okay. You're the, not owner will, the owner will be in the building. I believe Tepper. Uh, I'm not going to do LA. it. I'll cross it off. They're all watching. I'll cross it off. Um, and then Chiefs Bills, I think, is a stay away. Because, I just want to watch it. I just want to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I just like my default I want no rooting interest. Chiefs at home as an underdog. Let's grab this, but I'm staying away. The line is suspicious. Do you remember a regular season game this early in the season that like felt as big as this one? I, I was going through it. They're both I got to say, I think one. Eagles Cowboys feels almost as good? big to me because if the Cowboys can beat the Eagles, right. we'll have a prince in the NFC. 
You're so right. it's like the the combo of those. I can't wait. Two excellent. Two different ones. two different kind of games because uh, the quarterbacks are the story with the Bills and Chiefs. And obviously, you could talk about how good the Bills defense is, but four and one, four and one. Both teams have come back from seventeen points in a win. Yeah, and their quarterbacks are like at the peak of their powers. In the other game. It's like the nastiest defensive line in football. This yeah. Cowboys D is just so good. And then you get this nasty offensive line with the Eagles. Like one game is about aesthetics. The other game is just like sheer brute strength. Uh, it's great. I would it. do Bucks Eagles as the tease if I knew. Unfortunately, we're taping this Thursday lunchtime. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm getting with that offensive line. And I don't yeah. want to have the Chiefs in a big tease and then find out on Sunday that Two all linemen are out, and one guy might try to play, but he's hurt, and I, I just don't trust it. Yeah, Maialata is a big one there, and you know, I, and Kelsey's going to play, but I know he's he's yeah, banged up. I'm doing this this podcast on Michigan, and it's for iHeart, and we interviewed Sala this week. I'm going to do different guests, but also I try to do a segment called "Make Me Smarter," where we go into the research, where it's like, give me one little nugget, and the shit that Micah Parsons is doing right now, Bill, is insane. He he's already got three multi-sack games the record for the season is eight by reggie white like he's, yeah. he might re and he only rushes the passer 65 percent of the time like it's crazy what he's doing he's not a pass rusher he he's in coverage against wide receivers 35 percent of the game so he's the unicorn and i said this on good morning football and got you know i got dragged whatever that means uh, that's new lingo but i got dragged for it when i was like new if he blow if he blows up this game and it's like two interceptions Two sacks, like, and he does what exactly what he did against the Rams. He does exactly what he yeah. did. That we, this is gonna get that. Forget defensive player of the year. Like you're gonna get it's Cowboys national TV. Like you'll get that MVP whisper and buzz. Whether or not he'll win Whoa. it, like, he'll be in that conversation. He's been that dominant as a player, and that's even with the groin injury. Season awards on Fanduel. Where's Micah at? Because this might be that like unicorn season where. LT did it in 86 and no one's done it since, but this guy is on 200 to one dude, 200 to one. And you know that the voters are looking to do something that is special. Like, well, what was the game? Was it last week or two weeks ago? We had nine pressures. Yes. And I was like, I don't know if the Pats last year had other nine than Judah, nine season. pressures for the entire team. Crazy. All right. It's time. It's million dollar picks time. Give me for old time's sake. Give me one. Let's go. Is it too loud? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> First bet, teaser. Bucks minus eight and a half against the Steelers. Is this the worst team in the league, the Steelers, Peter Schrager? No, but they're in the conversation for the bottom quarter of the worst teams in the league. Not only are they in the conversation for me, they're in the corner at the bar. They're only long, long talk with whoever wins this Bears Washington game. And they're trying to hash out. Yeah. Dan Campbell and Mike Tomlin and uh, Rivera. Yeah. And Iberfus. they're all in there in the corner. Bucks tease down from minus eight and a half to minus two and a half. Just win by a field goal, Tampa. Can do that. Can't do that. You need this game. Got some guys coming back. Got a nice fast defense. This should be Tampa destroying them. We're going to tease them with the Jaguars who have burned us two weeks in a row. They have hurt my feelings. They killed the Colts in week two. Colts were a little banged up. Now we're coming back. They're f getting two points in Indianapolis. Okay. okay. Indianapolis is two plays away from being owned five. Facts. Trevor Lawrence, does he own the Colts? Can we say that? The last <laughs> two times he's played them, he's kicked their ass. Uh, Jags plus 240 also to win the AFC South. 
I think this is the week that kind of grabbed the AFC South back a little bit. I'm not willing to write them off yet. Weird Philly game, monsoon, the whole thing. Bad Houston game. Then the Houston game. game, just like, it's a strange game. It had no flow. It was 6-6 for two hours. They made one dumb mistake. Then they made another. All of a sudden, they lost. Teasing them to plus 7.5. Bucks minus 8.5 down to minus 2.5. Okay. Jags. Plus one and a half to plus seven and a half. We are putting seven hundred thousand dollars in that. Ah! <laughs> Patriots. <laughs> next one. Patriots. Another seven hundred thousand dollars. Patriots plus two and a half. Okay. Against the Browns. I believe in this Pats team. I would encourage plus two eighty for them to make the playoffs potentially. I think they know who they are. I think they like Zappy. Game manage. Run the ball. Ramondre Stevenson. Maybe you didn't feel good about spending 15 bucks on them in your fantasy draft. Somebody went 16, you backed off. Boy, was that a mistake. I was trying to get him from Cousin Sal this week. I offered him Devontae Smith. Said no. Offered him Alan Lazard, said no. He wanted Jamar Chase for him. Can't do that. That's where Ramondre's gone. Uh, the defense coming along. Belichick versus Stefanski. Belichick fired by the Browns. Back to Cleveland. Pats win this game. They're three and three. Nephew Kyle is in. Pats, plus two and a half, 700,000. Then uh, a couple of small appetizer bets. We're going to do the Saints plus one and a half against the Bengals. I, I like don't like the one. smell of the Bengals. Uh, Sharks are like in the, the water. They're, they're circling. Don't Didn't like that loss in Baltimore. We're going to put uh, Saints as a home dog. We're getting back to some home dog cooking. The Superdome. Saints plus one and a half. And we both like Dalton a little bit more than Winston for them, right? A lot more. Little I think game they're comp competent offense, no issues. Dalton does what Dalton does, and it's not going to blow you away, but that is a pro's pro, and he can move the ball downfield. And this will officially, if the Bengals lose this, this will be the let's look it in the mirror and really try to talk about what's happening here. Kind of lost for them. Saints plus one half, put 200K on that. We we're putting 200K on the Seahawks in the first half against the Cardinals. I laid out earlier in the podcast, Cardinals last 10 games, first half, they're down in nine of them. They're outscored by 100 points in their last 10, dating back to last year. And we're going to take the Seahawks plus zero and a half. Tie game, win the bet. Seahawks up by any lead, win the bet. You want to make your Geno Smith case really quickly? Best story in football right now. 32 years old in the fourth year in a row. He's on a one-year contract. These guys are playing for him. He runs that Shane Waldron offense better than Russell Wilson did a year ago. They come ready to play. They got two rookie offensive tackles who are playing their butts off. They come ready to play. The Cardinals, week to week, I have no idea what I'm getting. Let's go Seattle. Underdog parlay. Almost hit it last week. Hit it two weeks ago with you, the one we did. We're going to put the Giants in both of them. We're doing two. We're doing okay. 75K a piece. Okay. Giants plus 205 with the Saints plus 110. That is plus 540 on FanDuel. Okay. Giants and Seahawks plus 577 on FanDuel. You know what? We'll do 50K on that, not 75K. Okay. Lower it down. This is, the wink, this is the Wink Martindale game. This is where the defense wins one for the Giants, and it's for their defensive coordinator who was shown the door by Baltimore. Mutually parted ways. Wink, wink. Was shown the door by Baltimore, and now Wink, he gets one back. Down 2.709 million for the season. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's not great. But I would either would be way up or way down. I don't want to be in the middle. So no. either fade these picks. It's going to make for a great story. I will say this has been the worst luck I've had in the first five weeks. I don't want to change my system. I've had 
a whole career of these little things that I do. And just this year for five weeks in a row, it's been a disaster. But do I overreact because Chris Jones gets a rough in the passer after they stop the Colts on third and 15? No. Was that the wrong pick? Do you overreact when Grady Jarrett has a perfectly formed tackle and they're going to cover and instead they throw a flag and they don't get the ball back? Right. No, that's not your fault. There's been 10 of these plays this year and somehow I bet on the team that got screwed in eight of them. Clean slate. Peter Schrager is here. Those are the million dollar picks for week six. Let's go. Let's go. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/bs. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com/bs. All right, Joe House is here. We watched the Redeem Team doc on Netflix. I think this is a really interesting era of American basketball. And I remember writing about it for page two. I don't know if I had a podcast really until 2007. So it was more writing. We were so disappointed by what was happening to basketball in our country and all the one-on-one stuff and the fact that the other countries were catching up. And this 08 thing, which was an amazing thing, captured, uh, especially in the Spain game in the documentary. But it wasn't on at a normal hour. Did you even watch this game? I don't think you did. I did watch it, yes. I I definitely watched, because that fourth quarter had genuine drama in it. It did. And I I enjoyed it very much. I want to, like, clarify one aspect of what you just said, and I know that I can speak for you in this way. We were disappointed in... America's inability to be competitive with world basketball in the context of world basketball growing from the Dream Team 92 era up into those early 2000s because the kind of basketball that you and I have grown up loving, you know, our our entire lives uh, and the version of basketball really from from the 80s, um, the impression that made on the world and how the world responded to it from 92 up to this time when the U.S. lost its its top of the food chain, hoops food chain stature, we 
it was it was like a perfect microcosm of the version of the NBA that we were because the NBA was going through its own transition uh, at, at that time in a bad way in a, in a bad way right but so we we were frustrated that the U.S. was not up to the team standard and that, I think that was the thing uh, that that resonated the the most like just the big picture context while we're watching ten years of basketball post Dream Team ten to fifteen years. Why can't we play better as a team? Why are we so disconnected? Why is it that the selfish elements of our guys are, are the predominant elements? Why can't we just get on the same page? So this was the big picture part of the doc that it just kind of ignored and stayed away from because it's too deep basketball. But for us, to, it always came back to the point guards. Yeah. It was like, who is running the show? Even if you go back to 92, it's, it's Magic and it's John Stockton. By the time things start falling apart in that 02, 04, 06 range, Jason Kidd is really the only, you know, great team first American point guard we have. Other than that, it's a lot of the one on one stuff. And why one of the reasons it fell apart in 04 was it was Marbury and Iverson as the guards. And those were shoot first guards. And this was, this goes back to the 90s, the Jordan influence, the one on one influence. People started to emulate him, including people like Kobe. And everything was just one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one. And we would go into these tournaments and then these other teams that weren't as talented, they would just have ball movement. Like, we lost to Greece. We lost to Greece in world championships. We got our asses kicked by Puerto Rico. And it was all because they had movement and picks, which we had none of. And the documentary was helpful in emphasizing the lack of an institutional vision. Yeah. That there hadn't been a game plan previously uh, and part of it is because we, it was sufficient for us to trot the college kids out all the way up until the mid '80s. Well, go, but let's start. Let's go backwards because I think this is an important piece of this. You and I, the doc glossed over it. It glossed over a lot of things. It's a, it's, it's, fine. it's a benevolent doc. It, it is. It's for, for what, what John it Thompson is. did in 1988. Yes, that's um, right. And you're, you know, a DC guy, Georgetown. You have a, you have a mostly. Um, Loving relationship for John Thompson, yeah, I think. Yeah, very, but very you really fun. appreciate him. He did an awful job as the Olympic coach. That's true. And that set this whole chain of events. He picked the wrong guys for the team. We got our asses kicked by the Russians. And that led to the dream team. And then this, this idea that we have to send our best. But then somewhere in around, around 2000, we lose the narrative of sending the best. Now well, we're just putting together a fantasy team. In the context, the context-wise, the documentary did a good job. I mean, to, yeah. to, you know, uh, uh, September the 11th happened, and the terror threat that was present for the the Olympics in Athens what was a real thing. And all those guys pulling out, you know, a, a whole bunch of of otherwise committed guys pulling out because of concerns around the terrorist threat. That that was legit. But the thing that you know, to the point you're you're, you're making. From that John Thompson moment forward, it there was still no USA basketball. It, there was still no like organized, cohesive, top of you know somebody sitting on top, genuine leadership with a vision for how the US is going to compete on the international stage yeah. for the next few decades. Well, and they it, it also became not worth it for the players to some degree, right? I think Duncan, especially in 04, Duncan's the best player in the world at that time. He has won in 99 and 03 and in the 04 plays, you know, all the way through the Western finals, then has to play the Olympics after, then comes back 
has to go through that whole 05 season. They end up winning the title over Detroit, but he's like limping around by the end of that. And that that's where it became like, what is the upside of this to basically, I might have a 100 game NBA season. On top of it, I'm going abroad. I have to practice and be part of this other team. And then on top of it, that might be three grueling weeks right before the season. And I think, I think it flipped in 08 because I think people saw the value of um, coming off the Olympics and coming in the season. Remember that 08, 09 season? And the doc ends when they win the gold medal, but like Wade was incredible in 09. I felt like Wade's 09 season was as good as any Kobe season. LeBron wins the MVP in 09. Carmelo was awesome in 09. That was when they made the uh, Western, I think they made round three against the Lakers. All because I believe they were they had that experience and they got to learn from Kobe, right? And what it did in terms of their competitive level. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the highlights to me of the entire uh, documentary was the story of the team in a team bonding moment going out to the club, spending the whole night at the club. They all get back at 5.30 in the morning and who they encounter is Kobe coming off the elevator getting ready to go to the gym. Yeah. He's got his all his workout gear on. And they're like, yo, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to go prepare. And the guys all claim that that has such an impact on them, their commitment. I think that was probably true. And I wonder if like Kobe, deep down, maybe regretted giving the letting those guys under the hood with some of his secrets, right? Well, but by that point, you know, he, he's still... He, he was an eminence in the game. Yeah. He'd achieved that. I mean, part of the, the what you're struck by, at least I, I'll speak for myself, how beloved he was in China. Like, he's the star. Yeah. He's the he single was. biggest star. And the way that MJ was the star uh, in, in, in 92, um, it's, it's Kobe as the star. Now, the whole team was really a star in 92, but going back and looking at the Dream Team documentaries and stuff and seeing yeah. that, that, you know... The role that that MJ yeah, LeBron was the wasn't LeBron yet. LeBron no. had had he he had snuck into the 07 finals with that weird Cleveland team because they upset Detroit in 07. Then in 08 they lose to the Celtics in round two. But he wasn't he hadn't won any MVPs yet. The doc tries to do this whole LeBron versus Kobe thing, but I I just don't feel like LeBron. We we considered him the best player. I didn't personally consider him the best player in the league until that 08-09 season. Yeah, that I, was when he right. was clearly he had gone up a level. But that 08 season, that was a really complicated MVP. That's the year Kobe got Gasol. That was the year Chris Paul did so much with that New Orleans team. That was the year the Celtics traded for KG, and he, there was cases for everybody. And then LeBron had a really good season for Cleveland. Kobe, who wanted a trade heading into the year. They weren't very good, and then they get Gasol and they take off. So the the league was kind of in flux. That was why I wrote a column about that gold medal game for ESPN the magazine. And probably like I I had been on book leave for like two months, and that game kind of came and went. I thought it was an incredible basketball game because I remember I watched it live on the West Coast, and it seemed like we were going to lose. And the Spain just kept coming and coming. Fernandez was great, which they captured in there. The Gasol brothers, nobody knew Mark Gasol was good. But then the part they didn't have in the doc was Rubio was great in that game. He was 17. Jose Calderon had gotten hurt. And Rubio out of nowhere, it's like this precocious, seemed like he was going to be, you know, a transcendent player potentially. And there's that moment that they do capture in the doc with eight minutes left, down two, timeout. And it's kind of like this, who got this moment? And the answer was Kobe. Yes. And that was when the best player in the league thing just organically solved itself. That's it's right. Like, 
No, actually, Kobe's the best player in the league. And then Wade made a couple of plays too. But that was the moment, I think, for Kobe. And then he goes on to win the title the next year. One of the unanswered things, and I understand the point of the documentary, was not to provide, you know, the historical timeline for from 92 up to 2008. It could only touch on it a few times. Where was Kobe in 2004? And why was it that Larry ba- Brown, who chose Larry Brown to be the coach? Well, Larry with- Brown, was his stock was red hot. He had just coached the Pacer, uh, yeah. the Pistons yeah. to the title. Right, yes. Yeah. But with Allen Iverson and Marbury, with that, that, those players yeah. at that time with weak league though remember the I talent know. was this really low that, that, that stretch yeah I don't even know who they should have had there's two things that Doc skips over one, one is some of the Kobe stuff right like he's not in 04 because he's going through the trial 06 07 he is really unhappy and I think they capture how he goes to the 07 and Plaschke does that thing in the doc about he wanted a trade and he did this and he did that yeah Plaschke was super valuable yeah he was the, re- Co- the reputation Kobe had after the summer of 07 was this guy is not a team player. This guy is a solo act. He couldn't even coexist with Shaq. And for the last three years, the Lakers basically did nothing. And what is this guy? We know this guy's great, but what is he? Can he actually be part of a winning basketball team that he's the focal point? We all fought it. And so they go and they roll the dice with him because they desperately needed that like older... He was the most talented player in the league. But I do think this team, I do buy the argument that the doc made that this team was a little bit helpful with him pushing him toward this next phase of his career. That's what Plaschke said, right? And and the doc intimates, and Plaschke gives it voice, that Kobe needed that team for the second chapter of his career. He needed the team maybe as much as the team needed, maybe more than the team needed him. He he needed it to, to... you know, all of the stories that the guys tell about his individualism, his solo pursuit, him not having friends yeah. throughout the league. The thing that really did accelerate his his stature, the thing that made him an eminence, it seems like it started with that gold medal game. And then that was the second chapter of his career. Yeah, I think summer 2007, he has a good experience with that team. He ends up not getting traded. The Lakers start off a little better than I think people expected, and then they move in for Gasol because Chris Wallace puts Gasol on a platter. So the Kobe stuff was a little more complicated than I think the doc is going to want to go into. And then the other piece was the LeBron, Wade, Carmelo stuff in 04. Like those guys were really immature. I don't think they had um, a really high approval rating after the 04 thing. And I, I think in general... Um, I sent you that Wojnarowski thing. Wojnarowski wrote a piece for Yahoo 2010 about LeBron after LeBron went to Miami. And it goes back to some of his behavior for Team USA and them telling him in 2007, you have to be more of a team person or you're not, we're going to literally leave you off this team. Yeah, Woj literally talks about the All-Star game. It's, in 07 in, in Vegas. In 07 with his crew. Yeah. And that, the behavior there was so egregious, it, is, it seems, that Nike intervened on right. behalf of, of, you know. This was a reported piece by Woj, who yes. is now, you know, I however you want to feel about his authenticity at this point. Back then, I think, it's definitely, there feels like an agenda, right? It feels like he's against the LeBron side and he's airing some dirty laundry and stuff like that. But at the same time, it was interesting. I had heard all the same stuff being around the league that, 
they didn't know if they wanted to deal with the LeBron machine with the That's Olympic right. team. And they would just rather have 12 guys who were committed buying in. The doc doesn't touch that. Now, LeBron and Dwayne Wade were two of the executive producers of the doc. <laughs> and it makes it seem like Larry Brown was the bad guy in 04. It's like, I think Larry Brown just wanted professionalism yeah, in 04. I, I, I didn't mean to suggest, you know, my, my criticism was really just the, a failure of, of kind of imagination, like a little more planning, it seemed, was required for 2004. Well, think about if they had asked us, hey, we're going to build an Olympic team and the guards are going to be Allen Iverson and Stefan Marbury. We would have been like, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> what about, where's Jason Kidd? Can we get him? Well, I, I think they tried. This was part of yeah. the, the problem with uh, the terrorist threat. Yeah. I mean, all those guys that self-selected out, that's why they asked. I mean, the guys themselves were incredulous. LeBron and, and Mello uh, and D-Wade talk about how surprised they were that they were getting phone calls to go participate in Team USA. And it was because the, the vets didn't want to mess with it. I remember that 07 Vegas thing. Um, there was a lot of stuff. There was definitely a sea change in the league where they're handing the torch to this new wave of stars. And this was the first generation of guys that just didn't listen to the NBA and stuff. I have a request. They did their own thing. Can the, can, can, who, who can we, who can you, you do a deal with at the, at the ringer? We need the oral history of the 2007 all-star game, all-star weekend in Las oh Vegas. Oh my God. I mean, I wrote like a 10,000 word thing. Yeah. I, yeah, they, they, it was in the yeah. air because they were having a lot of trouble with Kobe yeah. that year. They were having a lot of trouble with with LeBron and just that younger generation. Um, Wade, who seemed like he was going to be super important after the 06 finals, but then he gets hurt. Um, the 07 season was unhappy, him and Shaq. 08, he gets hurt. And I thought the doc did a decent job of pointing out like he'd weirdly become an afterthought. For this guy who was a finals MVP in 06, yeah. he's coming off the bench. I mean, he was, I thought, in 08 and 12, the kind of greatest stealth asset this team had. That You can just bring Wade in as this disruptor. The three-point line was perfect for him. He was so athletic back then. And, you know, he the Spain game, he, he was the MVP of that game. So think about Wade and LeBron as the executive producers of this. They get to make a choice about what kind of light they want to cast Jerry Colangelo in. And they made the affirmative decision to, you know, kind of celebrate the role. Pretty he took positive. the mantle. It was very yeah. positive. And Colangelo was the one who went to Chicago and asked Dwayne Wade to prove it to me. Show me that right. your, your your rehab has worked. Show me that you've, you've, you're committed and show me that you, you can do it. Got to give Jerry Colangelo some credit. It didn't go into all the private planes that he made them fly around. That was one of the, one of the things with the Olympics was how much money they spent to get this 08 team. With every everything was first class, yeah. everything, but they did what they had to do. That's right. They felt like they had to reestablish their brand overseas. And then Carmelo, who it's funny, in this 08 range, I felt like was right there with LeBron and, and Wade, as weird as that sounds, as an asset. We we did lump those three together in all these different ways, right? And then when 08, 09 season, they make it's 2 2 in the Western Finals, him versus Kobe. It felt right. It felt like, you know, th those were four of the best players in the league. And for Carmelo, it never really got back there except for that one 2013 Knicks season. Well, what's crazy is Carmelo's legacy, his resume will forever have his imprint on our international teams. He was the, yeah. the, the best player on a couple, well, the most important player, not necessarily the best, but he it really clicked with him, the international team and his commitment to it. And his legacy will always have, like some of his highest achievements, 
will be his commitment to USA basketball. Yeah, what did he have? 08, 12, and 16, and I think? And I think 12 was the one where he saved our ass, which, which there was one well, year. Why was that 12? CP was, uh, CP was huge in 12. CP was huge in 12. Well, one thing this didn't go into in 08, which I found out in 12, was that Dwight drove all of them crazy. And <laughs> Dwight's in this doc. He gets interviewed. He's wearing a Kobe and Dwight sweatshirt. Kobe, Kobe's on record it's as like couldn't the, stand Dwight when they the played together. The one picture where quote Kobe is actually in something that looks like an embrace. Yeah. Dwight had took that picture and put it on a sweatshirt and then wore it for the purposes so of funny. this interview. But I remember like the whole team, that was a big theme hearing. Cause I, I, I was in London for 12 and I, I was around the team a little and around the people around the team and heard a lot of stories. And Dwight was, Dwight was, he wasn't on that team cause he was um, hurt. And they were relieved that he wasn't on the team. And they were small that year. They had like Kevin Love ended up playing center basically in crunch time in the 12 team. But, you know, the Spain team was such a good villain for them or adversary, I should say, because they had Gattucasals. Fernandez was was just the perfect international player. Jose Calderon wasn't there in 08. They had Navarro, young Rubio. Um, They just had dudes coming out of the woodwork who seemed like they could hit threes. They moved the ball. They were tough. They'd been playing together forever. And that really was an awesome opponent for us. Yeah, a perfect vehicle for the thing that we talked about a bit ago, where you go from 1992 up to that yeah. period of time, how international basketball, the development across the world, the growth and the interest in competitive basketball, and how competitive those guys were. They were, I mean, you know, they had six NBA players on that team. Well, one of the funniest things about 08 was Gasol's brother, Mark who was kind of thrown into that, uh, the Pau Gasol trade. Yeah. And we were all like, what the fuck? And then like, what, five months later, he played real minutes in the 08 Olympics and the trade wasn't as bad. It was still an absolute affront and a giveaway I'll and they never, never shot them it. and it was I'll awful. never get over it. But at least after that, you were like, all right, maybe they got something here. And then Rubio was the big winner because then Rubio, the 09 draft, God! Yeah, he's in it. And your stupid team trades, Mike Miller, the, the number Four. five pick for Mike Miller and Randy, Randy Ford. You could have had Rubio. I, I'll never. I'll ne- we could have had Steph Curry. I'll just never. It's just a never. Oh, you could have had never. Steph Curry. Yeah, we could have had Steph Curry. Could have had Steph Curry. Yeah. Washington. Five pick. Just, just keep it. Just keep it in that draft. That's a rough one. Don't draft Johnny Flynn. Boy, Johnny Flynn was already gone by then, fortunately, because of God. Jesus. You know, the uh, the Kobe piece of this too, which I thought it handled pretty nicely, just where we are now in 2022 with the Kobe story. And there's a couple moments there that were a little heart-wrenching, right? Oh, when his, the daughters come out of I'm the stands. You, and it, I didn't, choked up, They didn't bro. beat you over the head with it, but not, I thought not, that was smart. The Doug Collins stuff I thought was really good too. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I, I when I did TV with him that year, he said that was like when those guys came over to the table for him, that I think was like either the most meaningful moment of his career or one of them. Um, Cause they didn't have to do it, you they know, and they went to. out of their way to do it. And it's clear that, that they um, were open to him and he made an impression on them. And that was, you know, all credit to Shashevsky, right? Yeah. You know, you, you got, he was a, another winner. I was thinking about man. our guy, Tate Frazier watching this <laughs> coach K hater, but that story he told about the grandfather, grandmother was good. But I like that. He drops F bombs too. Oh, he's he's a fiery competitor. It's what what you want and expect out of somebody that takes 
the mantle of our international status and stature in basketball and tries to re-elevate it, re-establish it. Good, good, good job by Coach K. I feel like there was a lot more video and a lot more stuff that because there was so many, I mean, there's like a hundred producers in this. The, the Olympics were a producer. You go on Wade and LeBron and all the way through. I'm sure there was some good stuff that they ended up not using. Like I, I, I think you're right. I don't think this was the good ship lollipop. I'm sure there was moments when like Kobe's just screaming at Dwight Howard. There's no way Kobe wasn't screaming at somebody during these practices because well, they were taping everything. No, look, think Howard and 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 Kobe were eventually teammates, and Kobe sanctioned it. So maybe yeah. maybe they got along. Maybe yeah. Howard was on on better behavior then. The big winner, I think, was Carlos Boozer. <laughs> <laughs> He looked Who very was having handsome. a moment in the late 2000s, right? Yeah. He signed with Utah. Him and Darren Williams made the uh, conference finals. Darren Williams not interviewed for this. Chris Paul barely in it, which I Darren thought was Williams suspicious. Talked a little bit, but right. barely. Yeah. yeah, Chris Paul I thought would have been a big interview, but Boozer's interviewed five times. As a lot much. of booze time. Wade's in it a lot. <laughs> a lot of D Wade. Wade's like put, put two more things with me in there. Uh, but yeah, the, the the one of the things that was great about this team. And I wrote about it in that ESPN mag piece was they had Chris Paul and Darren Williams, but they felt this weird obligation to play kid. Kid wasn't really kid anymore. He sure. was moving into kind of a new phase of his career. And Chris Paul and Darren Williams were like incredible. And I think that was one of the reasons that team struggled in that Spain game because they stayed with oh. kid a little too long. Interesting. The okay. crunch time lineup, I think it was, it was LeBron with uh, Wade and Kobe. Yes. Chris Paul, and then was it Bosch? It was Bosch. Yeah. yeah, which is very like think about that. That's a very modern lineup, right? Three wings, a point guard, and basically a rim runner, four stretcher. It is funny, and no center. As you describe that, I had a very hard time with the timeline in my brain because those guys are still very present. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here in two thousand twenty-two, they're they're still playing. So many of them, and you know, there's there's so much. Uh, it's hard to like, wow, what, what was I thinking back then? How did I feel about this back then? Well, Carmelo had never really had a moment in the NBA. Bosch was buried on these bad Toronto teams. Wade had had the two great Miami postseasons in a row and then was basically in obscurity for the next two years. Kobe hadn't had a playoff moment in three years. LeBron had probably had the most experience just from those, because he 07 finals and then he went had that war against the Celtics. Um, but yeah, there were no Celtics on the OA team, even though they had just won the title. Um, it was, it was a cool time for the league. Another thing they didn't go into, which I was very surprised they didn't, was this was allegedly, I don't even think it's a legend. I, I think Walsh it's, wrote it. Yeah. This was when they started talking about all playing together, yes. which they just stayed away from completely in the dock. But Wade, um, Bosch, I think Carmelo, it got screwed up because his contract ended a year later than the other guys. Right. But Wade and Bosch and LeBron, but really Wade and LeBron knew that their contracts expired at the same time. Melo was supposed to be part of it. I know, but his, he, I, his I know. agent did the full extension with no option. <laughs> I remember, out. but that's an important nugget. And yeah. that whole thing of it, that that's a side, that's, that's in the footage. There's somewhere in the footage. You know what I mean? They basically, well, maybe they said in 07, we played poker 35 straight days or yes, something like that. Yes, but yes. I think at some point during the whole thing, they all decided. But that that was what I had always heard. That they, they, all, made it. It. they all made a pack. The Woj piece is pretty fascinating. It's pretty to great. It's a great yeah. reread. 
Yeah. So the legacy of this, I'm glad this doc exists. I didn't think it was amazing or anything, but I thought the footage was good. It's fun to relive it. I liked reliving the game. Um, I didn't mind the, the Kobe hagiography. Hey, I didn't either. It didn't drive me crazy. I didn't either. I think if if uh, if you're going to make it more basketball, I think you have to dive into the Jordan influence from the late 90s and kind of this one-on-one stranglehold that the league was in that led to some of the rule changes in 04 and 05. Um, it was defense over offense. It was everything one-on-one and kind of how do you unlock making the league fun again? And the the Redeem team kind of tied into that. Yes. How do we make this product what we actually want to watch? You know, the Celtics in 08, I think were very team first, unselfish. Ubuntu. Yeah. But LeBron was stuck on that Cleveland team that he basically had to just be a scorer and he wasn't. He was so much more than that at that point. Kobe just had to be a scorer. Wade just had to be a scorer. T-Max in Houston, he just has to be a scorer. So on and on, it was like there was no team basketball except the Spurs. And all the Spurs were international guys. And Phoenix was the other one. And Phoenix had Nash was from Canada. Yeah. I mean, really, the big mistake we made was not convincing Nash to uh, defect to America. Renounce his citizenship. Yeah, what, what, what is it when you <laughs> become an American citizen? Uh, that yeah. was what Colangelo should have done in 06. He just should have gotten Nash. We would have been fine. <laughs> Nash in 06, 08. We're good to go. Uh, anyway, all right, Redeem Team, we recommend this doc. I think if For you're a basketball sure. fan, it's fun. Absolutely, yeah. Did you really get choked up? Um, the daughter thing. Yeah, that did. That was good. It's tough. That was good. Yeah. It, it, that, it was handled correctly and it wasn't overt, but it was in there and you could feel it. And, yep. uh, yeah, I, the Kobe, we didn't even talk about plowing into Gasol, which was all over, uh, the internet last week, but that, um, does not seem like that was an exaggerated story. No, I think yeah. it's a real story. Yeah, it was a real story. And it looked like, like fuck a, this guy. It's right. Yeah. It's All right. Great. How's it good to see you? All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Schrager and Solak and House. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Sarudi as well. Thanks to FanDuel. Don't forget to jump on that boost. Milwaukee, 50 plus wins. Denver, 50 plus wins. Sacramento, 35 plus wins. A nice little juicy parlay with some actual juice on it. Go check it out. I will be back on this feed on Sunday, hopefully celebrating the triumphant return of a victorious million dollar picks week and the New England Patriots officially throwing themselves into the playoff race. I can't wait. Enjoy the weekend. Go Harvard Westlake. See you Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look 
and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 